0: This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash GOT for your free audiobook download. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 5,
1: Episode 3, titled High Sparrow. Uh, what do you think of the episode? So, I've watched it like three times now, and I also had it on the background when I was working on some like pre-spoiler notes. And I, I like it quite a bit more. Uh, again, a lot of my reaction was just a negative visceral reaction to a moment that I was really looking forward to Hmm. kind of being handled in a way that I didn't enjoy. So, and I still, I still have a problem with that, just, but not from the dialogue. Like, I don't really give a shit about like, you know, Ollie fetch me my sword works roughly as well as Ed fetch me a block. But (laughs) I do like the fact that they entered that extra beat in the book where, They're going to hang him, and then John hesitated, and even though it's from his POV and you're in his head, you start to think, oh, he's going to puss out. Mm -hmm. And then, no, he just does it in even a more badass way. And I think that's better than what – I still this day think that's such a great fan service moment that they could have taken 30 seconds to drag that out and added that extra dramatic beat um okay the i've been thinking a lot about how things are going with sansa and Littlefinger and ramsey and i'm really kind of starting to get you know uh you know I'm deep in my own fan canon with this <laughs> uh but trying to st- see how it matches up stuff in the books and getting more excited about that hmm. uh the stuff with Arya is like spot on as far as i'm concerned it's a little maybe they're going a little too fast but they're hitting all the beats what as a viewer what did you think
0: yeah, Second time around, you know, once I got over how just get dark and kind of dreary and blah this episode is, uh, I, I it does a lot of interesting things, it sets up a lot of interesting stuff, and it makes you kind of think about where things are headed in a, in a way that some of the other episodes haven't. Uh, this is a, a pretty good episode, like, I'm not gonna say it's great, it's not the best, it's not the worst, sure. Um, it's probably just above, I don't know. It's hard to say that it's above average for Game of Thrones because Game of Thrones is so consistently good. Yeah. And uh, that's the thing. I, I think it's
1: somewhere in the middle there. And it is a piece moving puzzle type of episode. And yep. it, there's a lot, just a lot happens. I, as I was watching yep. it and get, getting my notes together, I'm like, there is just a lot of things going on all over the place. And we don't even touch on Danny. Yeah. You know, we completely went away from Jamie and Braun. You know, if last last I felt like there was two solid episodes of piece moving, and it took that long to move every piece that was on the board, mm-hmm. that would imply that we've got a few episodes of some awesome stuff coming. We'll see, but yeah, I'm uh other than that slight problem I have with the way it was staged, directed, and written mm-hmm. up north of the wall, I'm pretty pleased with how it's going. Okay,
0: uh, who who ended up directing this thing? We know who. Who the writers and creators are, yeah?
1: Yeah, David Binioff and D.B. Weiss, <laughs> although I do think that next week is the first week that they don't actually re- Oh, wow. I, when I was compiling the uh, writer and director, I think it's a different writer. Okay. And that's, that's they don't usually, typically write every episode. Sure. Uh, but Mark Millard. I think that's how you pronounce his name, he's a British film producer and director. Uh, he is famous for having directed Ali G's In the House. <laughs> which is the movie version of oh, yeah. the Sacha Baron Cohen T- film. Totally prepared him for Game of Thrones. Sure. Right there. Well, it gets better. He co-produced and uh, the HBO television series Entourage All and right. directed uh, 23 episodes of that. And he also directed and executive produced a pilot episode of the U.S. version of Shameless for Showtime and has gone on to direct okay. 11 episodes. This might be part of the problem because none of that experience should... None of that screams Game of Thrones. No, 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 certainly. And there were a lot of really Game of Thronesy shots, like the one that really sticks up my mind is Brienne and Pod on that bluff overlooking Moat Kalen. Very uh, cool. And some other things of that nature, uh, the sweeping shot of the, shan- the shamble city on the bridge of Volantis. A lot of good stuff, but I just wonder if maybe he missed a few beats here and there that's kind of got my hackles a little up. But it's written by the Double Ds, so what the fuck? I mean... Surely he didn't just see like oh they're going to hang him there nah no one's got time for that just lop his head off <laughs> no
2: I do, get I get doubt your he's sword lop his
1: head off we, editorial cuts we don't here, got time no. to make all kinds of nooses what no I mean I so <laughs> a lot of it still got arrested the double Ds and I you know I it's inexplicable um inexplicable why they decided to streamline that little part of it but okay well let's not dwell too much on that let's get into
2: Please. the recap yes.
0: We start off inside the house of black and white, where Arya is watching as Jacken gives... uh, I'm going to call him Jacken. I know. He's a faceless man. He doesn't have a name. His name's Jackin, for all I care, right now.
1: It's going to be confusing if
0: everyone's no one here. If I just call him a man... Yeah. Well, Arya's starting to be a man.
1: This girl is who comes into her chambers is a man like, well, no one doubts the veracity of no one's claims to be no man. When no man <laughs> walks in and asks them what they're Very doing. Very confused. <laughs> yeah. That's it's, it's going to get sure. really weird.
0: Anyway. To- so Arya watches as he gives someone a cup of water from this basin. That's in the, the middle of this room that she's sweeping the floor of. Uh, she wants to know when she'll be trained. And Jacken's like, eh, I'm doing that right now. Mm-hmm. This is it. If you don't realize that you're in the training, like we said, you've never seen karate kid.
1: Yeah, like Valar Do Harris, Arya. <laughs> All men must serve. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is not uh and and I really like the fact that uh, you know, she wants to join the Faceless Men to serve herself. And that's what it's always been about. And he's like, You It has. You know, before you even get to that. He didn't even say that. Like, I I sometimes wonder during this plot whether Arya really knows what she's getting into.
0: Yeah, because it's it's questionable. Certainly. This is
1: I'd like the faceless men don't give a shit, or well, maybe they do. I d- I don't know enough about it, but I, I don't feel like they especially give a shit about what's going on in Westeros. That's a good question because who is their, Who are they serving? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The the faceless god, who you know, we see the stranger, which is the aspect of death of the seven. We see the drowned god, which is uh the the god of the ironborn where if you are baptized in ironborn you literally are drowned and then okay, brought yeah. back to life with some kind of primitive version of CPR i mean this is a very death oriented cult
2: mm-hmm.
1: so war and and tragedy and all that i i don't know that they have a problem with
0: yeah um i i don't think that their motives have been made clear at all yeah i think they are a force that is still up in the air. Sure. Um, and we, we're getting less and less of those as we go on here. Yeah. Um, I think Melisandre is another one. I'm not yeah. quite certain what she wants. Yeah. Um, tree tree Man. Sure. Up with
1: Braun. We haven't seen Braun at all this season.
0: Or uh, sorry, not Braun. Bran. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. for Not <laughs> enough
1: fiber in our viewing diet. I, I think, yeah, yeah. I just think it's interesting that so many people are rah rahing about, you know, Ari becoming an assassin, which we've talked about last season, like how. I think it's cool. Co- Complicated that is to like root for that for a little girl. But Uh then, if you add in, does Jacken really give a shit about what she wants? Or is he trying to turn her into something that's going to serve his purposes and ideals? Sure. Like all of the kids in this universe, you know, Tom and um,
0: like everybody's being. Isn't it interesting that
1: every one of the Stark kids has some sort of mentor figure that we're either openly skeptical of or have no (laughs) idea the motivations? Brand's got his tree naked yep. diaper dude uh sans has got little finger uh i guess Rickon's got asha although I, that feels like it's in good hands and then uh we've got uh aria being shaped by jacken i think yeah. that's that's interesting especially since all of these and Jon snow has got stannis mm-hmm. it's interesting to see you know how they all started with this uh, thing where they all had pups you know And they've got this kind of thread that's running through all their stories. I don't know what the significance of it is. It's weird to me to say,
0: man, I understand that Stannis is the guy with the claim to the throne. But it is so hard for me to get past the idea that both Davos and Melisandre are working for, for what they see as the goal. Whereas Stannis... Yeah, Stannis has a clear path that he's going to King's Landing, he wants the throne, all that stuff, but he's being led around by Melisandre, and then Davos is working behind his back in a lot of scenarios to sometimes get what's, what Stannis wants and sometimes not. So I think... Like, Stannis strikes me as a a king that puts up a good front. Yeah. But ultimately, I don't know that I feel like he has as much
1: authority as he thinks he does. I don't know that because it's a very curious take. I've never thought that, and it might be because I'm a book reader. But my understanding of Stannis is that he has his own agenda, and he uses hmm. anything that is at his disposal to get that ag- you know agenda. Vagina magic, if it works, I'll use it. Uh, but I'll also, I mean, I do think he does want to serve the realm. I think so, Like, yeah. he's wanting – I I think that was perfect that someone said about, uh, you know, you want the Iron Throne, but but what you need to do is protect the realm to get the Iron Throne. You want to get the Iron Throne to protect the realm, but what you really need to do is protect the realm to get the Iron Throne. Hmm, okay. So I, – and I think that he thinks – he looks around the map, and he sees that he's the best man. He's got the best claim, and he's the best man for the job, and it's hard to argue. Where but his got arguments are falling Lannisters, flat,
0: and, right? I mean, he goes to John and he says, hey – want you to do this for the realm, John says no. Yeah. But and then Davos comes behind his back and is like, "Oh, I think you should reconsider your vow and all this stuff." And mm. like without Davos, I don't know that Stannis would be getting his way. It's like Stannis feels like he's just kind of fumbling through this and Davos is picking up the slack, Melisandre's picking up the slack with their blood packs.
1: But yeah, but part of like, part I, of being an effective effective leader is realizing your weaknesses and shoring those up with other people, you know. I no, mean, I get it. It's just he doesn't realize that any of that
0: stuff is going on.
1: Ah, bullshit.
0: With Davos? You think he he had Davos sit you back You really and say, think
1: Stannis walked out the door, looked over his shoulder. oh, Stannis is gone. Where did he go? I don't know. Something, I mean... I, don't, I think Davos did not ask to do that, certainly. Well, Davos doesn't ask... To, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I To me, again, it feels like... Uh, Walking in that room and saying that's part of the plan is weird. That's... I don't think it's... I'm not saying it's part of the plan. Okay. I'm just saying that... Uh, having having Davos be kind of the good cop mm-hmm. is something that they might have worked out or th- that might be mm-hmm. something that Stan has realized in the con- in the soul searching he did in season three about whether he should go full on the Melisandre or full on the Davos. There's a little bit of cop out because at the end, uh, Melisandre herself said, hey, Davos still has a part to play. So he kind of had an out. But I kind of feel like mm-hmm. that they've worked out this good cop, bad cop thing, especially mm-hmm. when you're okay. dealing with you know, it's like Davos, or uh, Stannis lets Davos deal with the smugglers, and he lets him deal with the bastards, and, mm-hmm. you know, he knows he can command a certain type of man, and he might need Davos's lighter touch to reason with others.
0: Okay. Uh, let's talk about all men must die, all men must serve. You know, Valor Margulis, Valor Daharis. Yep. Uh, I know that this say these sayings did not originate with the Faceless Men, but I can't help but imagine how how strictly they apply to the faceless man. How do you from think that? Seen. Why do you think that? Uh, this idea that, you know, he gives this guy a cup of water and he appears to die. Uh-huh. I don't know if he's actually dead and is going to come back or if this is, like I said, in the instant cast, I, I think this is some kind of ritual that passes you from regular dude to the faceless men. Indeed. Mild, mild interest. Uh, so you know the all men must serve all men must die sort of thing ties right Mm -hmm. into that like you have to die to serve Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a a,
1: you know the snake eating its tail situation a
0: little bit and i know it's it's not something that originated with them but i can't help but think that the the show is trying to tell me that that is a big part of this whole thing because that is how they greet each other you know and i realize it's
1: it's a high Valerian thing, right. or whatever. But that's just the language they speak. I'm not sure where you're getting the whole. I don't know that this originated with them because, as far as I'm concerned, it might have.
0: If well, I mean, if you want to say that they're, I don't know if that a is faction a faction
1: that is trying to preserve the,
0: yeah, I don't know culture of the Valerian. Sure,
1: so I don't know if that's a Bravosi thing or if this is a uniquely House of Black and White, faceless man, uh, fa- sure, face, uh, God of Many Faces philosophy. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get at. Like I like, like it's it's start it feels to me that the Faceless Men is a religious organization. Mm-hmm. But they also, you know, do other things as well. I mean obviously It feels like it's also a very
0: practical. Yeah, organization. I mean
1: there's they're, they're all star yeah. assassins. In mm-hmm. <laughs> in and, and their their worship uh, that happens to involve killing people. So yeah.
0: I don't know. I can't help but hear those words and think, hmm, a lot of people look like they're dying in this episode. Well, I
1: mean, that's the thing. You could be forgiven because, you know, that scene in Kyburn's dungeon laboratory is <laughs> uh, eyebrow raising, to say the least. Sure. Uh, let's move on to Cersei. She and Marjorie are being
0: transported through the streets of King's Landing to the Oh, Royal before Wedding. we
1: go on, some, uh, I had a lot of people ask me about some various ge- geographical questions about Westeros and Essos and since we're transitioning from Essos to Westeros i figured i'd take this opportunity a lot of people i think this comes up about once a year how what is what is essos's relationship with westeros and as vis-a-vis the narrow sea okay and if you look at a map of westeros like its narrowest part is approximately the same width as the widest part of the narrow sea and also, it's handy to find out that the wall is approximately the same length of that narrowest part. Maybe a little bit, hmm. m- maybe a little bit wider. In the books, it says the wall is three hundred miles long, and Sam said last season in Mesa that the wall is five hundred miles long. So there's a little bit of controversy there, but you yeah, know, whether it's three hundred or five hundred miles at its widest part um, is kind of immaterial because it seems like. Martin is trying to set up a geographical figure where you could believably cross it for mercantile purposes and to do, like, send messages and things like that. But it's also believable that you couldn't just take a military force willy-nilly over there. Okay. Uh, And then down south, where Dorne is at, uh, you've got, like, this archipelago, whatever, a kind of island chain stretching from Dorne to the the southern tip of uh, Essos. So it's like... Yeah, this widest part is 3 to 500 miles long, but at its narrowest part, you know, you could probably just skip between islands and never lose sight of land. Hmm, okay. Um someone else asked me whether if there's anything to the west of Westeros, uh Westeros or east of Essos and um I did some research and it appears not, and I think that that is essentially like asking someone from the 1200s in Europe, is there anything yeah. Anything west of Spain? Uh-huh. Is there anything east of China? They'd be like, ah, you know. Yeah. It's there, there be dragons. <laughs> uh-huh. The edge of the world, sure. Yeah. So that's the kind of the boundaries of the known world. And also, Bravos is at this northern tip of Essos, and it is the same kind of latitude as the Twins or the Erie. Uh-huh. So it, it's kind of like – It's at, at the southernmost border of what they consider the north of Westeros. Westeros goes way north, and that's why the north is cold as hell.
0: Yeah, I didn't realize the Bravos was that far north.
1: Uh, yeah, you know what? I, thought I was, actually thought it was further north, huh? Because I'd been a while since I looked at the maps. Um, mm-hmm. I kept a map of both when I was reading the books because I was really trying to get a, a sense of the place, and I'd forgotten that uh, Essos was actually way shifted south compared to Westeros.
0: Interesting. Okay. Uh, so we go to the the royal wedding, and Cersei's not very happy about them chanting Marjorie's name in the streets. Um. Tommen and Marjorie are wed in this scene. It's a fairly short scene. Yeah, it's just showing showing Cersei giving them the stink eye most of the time. Because we got to get to the sweating, heaving, underage sex. We do. Yes. <laughs> Later on, they consummate the marriage. Uh, afterward, Tommen confesses he doesn't feel guilty about his brother dying and making him the king. And he he feels bad about that. Uh, he he feels weird about not feeling bad about it. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Marjorie tells Tommen that he's Cersei's baby boy and that she will never let him go, let him mm. out of her sight. And uh, I, I don't know. What do you want to say about this? Before I mean, it's just on? a
1: great manipulation of this kid that, sure. you know, whether you think he's 14, it's 14 or I actually looked it up and the actor is 17 years old. OK, uh, so whether you believe how old do you believe him uh, saying you're a mama's boy? is not sexy. It's the opposite of what he wants to be to this, this woman, this Mm. older woman. So, and it's great because she says nothing but good things about Cersei. Of course. And they're all natural things. Like, of course a mother would be protective of her son when it's the only blood she has left in the city and she's lost her husband Mm. uh, and her, 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 her father and her eldest son. Like, it's all natural, but what she's doing is just, you know, wrapping this kid around her pinky finger.
0: Yeah, and or it's interesting. Or other parts of her anatomy, whatever. <laughs> it's interesting going to the next scene where Cersei's basically trying to do the same thing. But it doesn't work. beginning.
1: Because he's already got, he was too there little, first. Too too late, yeah. Plus, you're never going to side with your mom over your...
0: No, of course
1: not. Hot bride that you just married. Of course not. That does nothing but blow sunshine up your ass, so... yeah. So it, it it shouldn't uh be too much of a surprise when But she he's trying to get her out of there. And Cersei did try. She was like, yeah. Oh, she smiles all the time. I just do you think she's smart? I just can't tell. I mean, those are mm-hmm. far less I mean, she's just not as good at this as Marjorie is. She's not. She and I mean she's 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 fighting with her vagina tied behind her back, which as a Lannister, she doesn't have to. <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh. I'm just saying it wouldn't be unprecedented. Um, Yeah, let's add another layer of creepiness on top of that. (laughs) Why not? Top of the 14-year-old boy. Why not? Um, But she's already fighting with that behind her back, with with not being able to compete on that level, but she's Mm -hmm. just not as good at the underhanded, passive-aggressive dig. Yeah, this whole series of scenes is interesting to me. Yeah, because, like, the next scene, Marjorie just completely schools her ass in the underhanded, passive-aggressive compliment. She does, but I wonder if she goes too far.
0: Well, because
1: Cersei is
0: not going to take that laying down, certainly.
1: But recall a previous episode, uh, Cersei referred to uh, Marjorie as that smirking whore. Oh yeah, from High Garden. No, but so I, there is no. I don't think there's any scenario in which Marjorie could get in good with Cersei. I really don't.
0: Of course not. But to to just jab her? her so many times over and over in this next scene, where she comes and and. She's basically saying, hey, I've got support for you. Whatever you need, let me know. Of course, that's disingenuous. She doesn't actually. But Marjorie takes those opportunities to punch her again and again. It's kind of disgusting what she does there. Mm. Uh, Even though I don't like Cersei and I Mm -hmm. don't sympathize with Cersei, I think it's maybe this power is starting to go to her head a little bit too much. Like she feels, Oh, I've won this battle, it's over, there's nothing Cersei can do. That's the thing. And so she antagonizes her, and I think that's a mistake.
1: Let me ask you w- this. Given the
0: way she walks out of that that scene
1: and the look on her face. Do you do you what weapon do you think Cersei could form against Marjorie?
0: Uh an undead mountain? I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I'm, I'm saying like it can't be that gross. She can't just storm into the no, Queen's room. Of not. And and kill her. That's the thing like that's what, I think why Marjorie thinks she's one is that she feels like utterly secure as long as she doesn't I mean Marjorie mm-hmm. could fuck things up sure yeah. she could do something stupid um and 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 ruin her power with the king but as long as she has that I feel like she thinks she's secure and I was just curious to see if you had any ideas of what Cersei might try I mean Duned Mountain is one but I I just don't think that would work
0: Sure, I, I don't think so either. I, that was a joke. Um, okay. I, I think possibly she might use the sparrows for this um, to because they have a very right and wrong sense of the world. Sure. Um, if they perceived something to be wrong or a sin against the gods, uh, they would apparently go after that person mm. wholeheartedly. So I wonder if there's any way she can spin her new relationship with the quote-unquote high sparrow to... Uh, caused marjorie some problems interesting i don't know lead, obviously but okay uh it's it's a new relationship she established during this episode after she had that conversation with marjorie so right uh and and i have to say if i were trying to poke holes in that i would i would probably say the sparrows were brought to her not the other way around she didn't go seeking them out mm. that was just kind of something happened to fall into her lap but i could totally see cersei turning that to her advantage courting the sparrows yeah sure yeah Anyway, we we've kind of talked about several of these scenes here, so I think we should just go over to Winterfell. Yeah. Um, Reek sees some flaying, some flayed bodies being hung up, and we go inside to uh, the the castle. Sure, no, sure.
1: They're flaying people, and that's not good. Mm-hmm. But they are rebuilding Winterfell, which is kind of cool. They are. Yeah. <laughs> the Boltons giveth and the Boltons taketh uh, away.
0: Yeah, Sansa's gonna like that, right? Sure. Uh Roos tries to counsel Ramsey on the politics of alliances because he's just out there flaying people, thinking fear is the way to go. This
1: isn't the first—correct me if I'm wrong, because sometimes <laughs> this blends together in in the books and the series, but this is not the first time they've had this fucking conversation. I don't think so, no. I'm, pre- um, I'm pretty sure he said that, you know, before he did the whole, you're not a bastard anymore, the looked, everything scenario, the light touches yeah. is our kingdom, that mm-hmm. scene, I feel like he tried to give him that lesson there, too. He did. And here Ramsey goes off and flays all the Kalins. Well, right
0: when he got back, um, when Roose returned, he didn't know that he had, you know, done all this stuff with Reek, and he was like, oh, you can't lead with fear. This is the same speech, roughly. Yes. Uh, and then he showed him Reek, and he was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll I'll ease up a bit. Sure. Because he's got this new pet, which is going to be valuable to But him. I never thought so. that he
1: actually won that argument with his father. It's just more He did
0: when he took... Mo Kalen, right? I mean, that's kind of proof in the pudding.
1: Sure, but doing that to an Iron Islander—that the North—I mean, they hate as much as anybody. Uh-huh. It'd be like it'd be like uh, castrating a Lannister. Like no Northern Lord's going to give a shit. You start flaying the Lords of the North, mm-hmm. um, and you know, fair point to Ramsey. He spat in my face, said he's not going to kiss a traitor's boot, uh-huh. and fuck you and your taxes. I'm not, you know, plus look at me. I've got this shitty mud hole with spears sticking out of the ground. What kind of taxes I'm going to pay? Here's five pounds of shit and three <laughs> pounds of mud. Go on your way. I mean, I don't know what you do in that circumstance. You
0: flay the people, and then they pay their taxes, apparently. I, I mean, you flay that the father and the like, mother and the brother and... Yeah, Roos said,
1: well, you, he left you with new, no choice, which you could read as him just smoothing things over, but I kind of think that maybe that's what Roos would do, too. Maybe. Although, you also have to wonder whether the, the Lord of Moat Cailin would have done that if Roos himself had showed up versus his his bastard. H- yeah, his, his up-jump bastard
0: son. You've got to imagine that a lot of people still have the idea of Ramsay as a bastard in their head, right? sure. And even though he's got the paperwork and the documentation, he's, in the,
1: see, guys, see, I'm a lord yeah, now. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's- Pay it's, me some respect. Yeah. And and I don't, again, I don't know how you, it, that seems like a very Tywin thing to do, too. Like, Tywin would do, I mean, he wouldn't flay them. He'd probably just taken their heads, but yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's the thing. You don't flay them. Sure, you execute them. Maybe you don't flay the whole <laughs> yeah, family these, and make the son watch.
0: I, these public executions are going to be a problem, Yes. I mean, Danny's doing it. Ramsey's doing it. It like
1: we've, as a civilized society, moved away from them, and it's we overall have. been a good thing. Like we're living longer, we're we're healthier. We have the internet and free mm-hmm. pornography. We didn't have those things when there was public executions. It's so. True correlation.
0: Uh, anyway, there's there's a, a couple of cuts here that are interesting. Um, the the least interesting is probably the cut from this meat wagon to the table where meat is being carved. Yeah. I feel like that's a stylistic thing, not trying to say anything about cannibalism or what yeah. what's going on at this place, but uh, I thought it was interesting. And then the smash cut from this scene to Sansa, where mm-hmm. he's talking about, I forged a marriage alliance for you, and then boom, right to Sansa. Mm-hmm. And then I, they spell it out in this next scene, obviously. Sure. Where Sansa and Littlefinger are outside Mo Kalen, and they are... Uh, stop there. Littlefinger says, hey, I've arranged a marriage to Ramsey Bolton for sure. you. Not, not for me. Not for me, for you. And she's very angry about this. For good reason. <laughs> for, yeah. For very good reason. Uh, but Littlefinger has a conversation with, with her and basically tells her to stop being a bystander in this show. Mm-hmm. Like, fucking do something, Sansa. We've been waiting five seasons for this shit. Let's see it. Uh, and
1: she she comes around. It's not... Like I said, I, I I've I was doing some speculating in a spoiler cast that kind of wondered if things weren't going down this way and talking to people on the forums, and now it looks like it's going down this way, and I kind of like it. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Instant Cast, we've seen what Sansa can do by accident. Okay. You know, if she's now, like... Fully under uh, on board with Littlefinger's plan is no longer got the like you know stars and hearts in her eyes about honor and gallantry, and she can just help him scheme. Like you think of like, you know, you said you're running out of colors. I don't know what you would call a red slash purple wedding at, at at Winterfell, but you can think Oof. of kind of mayhem A gray wedding that you can think it's the kind of mayhem that a Sansa could wreak at something like that if she was actually. Uh, literally helping Littlefinger or being guided by Littlefinger. But mm-hmm. you could also see that Littlefinger could just be selling her out. Yep. And it, there's a lot of hints that Littlefinger's playing this a very dangerous smile. game.
0: This fucking smile at the end of this episode, man. He got exactly what he wanted. Mm. He convinced her to go marry Ramsey for this alliance that we, you know, we see him and Roos talking about later. Yeah, I don't trust anything about Littlefinger. I don't. I don't know that he has you Sansa's best interest in his mind. You
1: shouldn't. Okay. I mean, yeah. he said in the very first season that he is not one to be trusted. <laughs> uh-huh. And that the man he told that to, he stabbed in the back. So you shouldn't yeah, I trust just, him. I
0: don't like seeing Littlefinger smile, period. <laughs> what I
1: love about this is pitting Littlefinger against Bruce. Oh, yeah. Because, man... They're they're equally as ambitious. They're equally as intelligent. Perhaps I think Littlefinger is bolder. I think so. Like like Bruce uh-huh. is is he's like I'm not going to let go of this branch until my hands on another one. Where mm-hmm. like Littlefinger will roll the dice and be like I'll 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 swing in the darkness. That's the thing, man. And I and that can be good or bad because uh-huh. if the bold strategy always wins, if you're right, it does. But the patient strategy is there to capitalize on when the bold strategy flames out. Yeah, it's to reduce variance, right? Like, sure,
0: you need to be pretty sure. If if you're not willing to take massive risks or know you're right, right? Yeah, you got to you got to play it a little safe. And you're right, Roose Bolton is a little safer.
1: It's and it's not by much because no. again, he killed the you know, like, St- That had of... to, that went <laughs> just slight. Like, if a few more Northern lords survived that, or if mm-hmm. Rob was able Part to get away, Frey, or if Walter Frey just changes
0: his mind a little bit, like. Has last last second change of heart,
1: you're dead probably. Or if Tywin just decides to pull a Cersei and's like, "Fuck you," and you're a deal. Like all the yeah. Northern lords just come and kill the Boltons and the Freys, and there you go. So it's not like it's a it's not like I'm saying he's milk toast. No, and you know Littlefinger's Tarzan. I'm just saying that that there is a that is the difference between them.
0: Yeah, I mean Littlefinger is the all in kind of guy here. I mean if you're sitting all these guys down at a poker table, little fingers all in every hand.
1: Yeah, Roos is the guy that goes to Vegas with two hundred with five hundred dollars. Uh as <laughs> as soon as he wins his five hundred dollars you know, as soon as he wins his five hundred, yeah. he takes that, puts it back in his pocket and then gambles Plays with house with money. House money on. Exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> all right. Uh let's go over to Brienne and because they were surveying the trip through Mo
1: Kalen from a cliff. Which is a spectacular scene.
0: Yeah, really good shot there. Um and it, man, that Mo kalen it's definitely a moat. It's disgusting looking. Around yeah,
1: it. well, they, they would have called it Butthole Castle, except for that actually was already taken. <laughs> who Who's the lord of Butthole Castle? It's the littlest finger of the fingers, actually. <laughs>
0: okay. They named it as a joke. Uh, Brienne and Podrick are talking. They, uh, She asks him how he became Tyrion's squire, and he tells that story. And then Brienne tells the story of how she came to serve Renly. And uh, her story is a lot better. I gotta say,
1: I don't know. I thought it's interesting that Pod is kind of like this shameless youth that you know he kind of wanted to be a knight, but he got with dr- the drunk. got no hard drunken in that lord. Yeah, no. But he was saved by his name. Uh, he was because yeah. he's somehow related to Sir Illyn Payne. I can't remember exactly how. Um, which is a longtime Lannister loyalist. He's no longer in the show because the actor uh, suffered from uh, some kind of throat cancer.
0: Why didn't they just recast him? <sighs>
1: I, they kind of did his he he essentially took a broad essentially took his role oh, um okay as as jamie's kind of sword practice partner which is be, like better from a narrative economy economy standpoint anyway the good news is the guy who played him uh apparently fully recovered
2: oh but awesome. they had already
1: changed the plot so hmm. you know i don't know where he still gets residual checks or what he didn't have any speaking lines because the man had no tongue in the book so well
0: if game of thrones is anything like the padres then yes he did <laughs> uh Anyway, I, I, I like Brian's story a lot better. Yeah. With with her recounting of this ball she went to, where she was trying to be paired up with a bunch of princes and such, and uh, it didn't go well. And Rinley stepped in and made her feel not as shitty.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting that I've, if you meet Gwendolyn Christie in person, which we have had the pleasure of doing, she's stunning, she and is, she's fucking tall.
0: Like, make she, no mistake. D- yes. My God.
1: <laughs> yeah, she, she's several inches over me, and I'm I'm not a small guy. Yeah. And she's just really stunning and very attractive. Mm-hmm. And I was marveling at this scene, how really brutish they made her look. So it sells the story, because she's a But it still model. just totally do- It doesn't totally sell it. Do you? Like, you I'm looking think at so? her, I'm
0: thinking, she's not ugly. She's not. She's
1: covered in dirt. She's got some artificial bags under her eyes. She's not ugly. You know, it's interesting because in the books there, I've debated that too, whether she's really ugly or whether she's described as ugly because we're seeing through the lens of her being this nonconformist type of woman, because when you read the books and she's got full lips and big blue eyes and blah, it's like, this doesn't sound ugly to me. And, Hmm. and Arya is also described perception of herself and and others too. And, and Arya is described as very ugly, um, as like horse, you know, Arya horse face and this and that. Yet when third parties describe her, they compare her favorably to her aunt Liana, which is one of the most beautiful women in Westeros. So they play a lot with that you know the pov perspective versus the actual perspective it's interesting so i think it works because if you squint you're like yes i can see where she would describe herself as this mawkish or gangly mule mm-hmm. but you can also see the 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 the, the beautiful person underneath uh the great you, lumbering beast yeah i, I the can great maybe see where they're saying did that? you know that jason um who is our buddy from the walking dead cast he actually i think last week released the audio of our interview with her. I heard about that. Yeah. yeah I'm going to link that in the show notes for this podcast. So, uh, if you're curious to see us have a 45 minute conversation with Gwendolyn Christie, uh, check out, uh, his, I forget what the name of the game of Thrones podcast is, but it's something Jason could be, uh, see is doing over there with Karen. And yeah, other people just started it up this season. Yeah. So. Um, so we find
0: out also that her secondary goal, which I think we kind of knew is to, uh, avenge Rinley by killing Stannis. Sure. Uh, we all kind of knew she was in it for that, but her primary goal of protecting the Stark children has taken over.
1: And I, we talked a little bit about this in the uh, instant cast, but I really like the fact that she acknowledged that she knew Rinley is gay. Yeah. Because it's a little, I, I, I want to say it's a lot more ambiguous about whether she realized that in the books, especially like before Rinley was killed.
0: And uh, I, I think that makes his gesture even more meaningful. Right. He's yes. not in it for himself here. He is in it completely for her, just to make her feel better. He had no dog in herself. the fight and he helped yeah.
1: her out. And he's also the second you know, he, the the man is, is is good looking and he's the king's brother. He's arguably one of the most powerful men in the kingdom, and he shielded her from all that. So mm-hmm. it's it's loyalty born of seeing someone being kind. Um and I it really sold the whole How much she hates Stannis and how she says, I think the line was, there's nothing more hateful than being able to, than failing to protect the ones we love. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, Gwendolyn is amazing. Uh, (laughs) And the the guy that plays Pod is actually, all he's got to do is look serious at her, but he does a damn fine job at that. Yeah, learn how to
0: dismantle a, a set of armor. Yeah. All right, so we go to Stannis uh, and John up at the wall, and Stannis comes to him to find out what his answer is on the offer he made him last episode. Yeah, John says no, no, and he asks Stannis how long he plans to stay at Castle Black. Stannis says I'm out of here in a fortnight, and kind of leaves the fate of the wildlings to him after after suggesting that he send Sir Alistair away.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of like, hey, I'll take him if, if you can get Tormund to join me. But you mm-hmm. can execute them or you can feed them or like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. They're either in my army or I don't care. I'm about doing
0: them. this in a fortnight regardless.
1: Yeah. I th- So I like a lot of what they're doing here. The one thing I, I don't necessarily like, uh, I really like the fact they're putting Ollie as a steward because, you know, we've seen him be traumatized by these wildlings and having him in the room puts a face on, you know, we hear about, the, oh, the Black Brothers don't like this, the Black Brothers don't like that. But, you know, he is now a Black Brother, it seems. Seems like it. Yeah, I mean, he'd, to be a steward, he'd have to take the vows. Yeah. So, he's got very good reason. And we as viewers have a lot of reasons to see the Wildlings as not necessarily a benevolent force, at least a lot of them. Um, but no, I... The only thing I I don't quite agree with is that I never felt like there was any menace behind Stannis, like toward Jon. Yeah, you're the Lord yeah. Commander of the Night's Watch. That's great. You have a few hundred brothers. I have thousands of mounted men. I could end you all if I wanted to, and no one really give a shit.
0: Yeah, but I, no he, one you're north. Right. He doesn't. No make one that south point.
1: of the neck would g- ever give a shit. And there was a lot in the books. There was a lot more tension and danger. Like oh. Like, mm. John's is very self assured, and you sit behind his desk, and it's your grace and your Lord Commander. And I never felt like there was a threat of Stannis bullying him. And and maybe that's because they are they don't have time to, you know, you already kind of hate Stannis, and making him be a bully would like. I don't
0: hate Stannis. I no, just, but I. I I feel like I don't
1: fully understand
0: Stannis yet. I guess
1: most book readers like Stannis in a way that the show watchers don't, because he is not given time to really develop. So if they give him a defining trait as being a bully, then I feel like that maybe pushes the mental calculus a little bit too far. That they don't want to do that.
0: Maybe it. It also makes me question. Now that you're saying that, uh, it makes me question that nod that he gives John after he beheads Janos. Uh that felt a little out of place in this episode for me. Really? Like, I don't know why Stannis would necessarily be, you know, giving him the OK on that. Well. Or, or saying, good job, buddy. Yeah. Um, but if there was a little bit more pressure from Stannis to do certain things, then maybe that would have made sense.
1: See, I thought it made sense just from his talk about mercy. And you gave this guy mercy and it wasn't your place to give. And then I thought they were kind of like Stannis is like, you learned your lesson. And mm. and also, okay. J- um, not Janos. God Davos. He's saying he sees something in John that's kind of like a nod of like I was not wrong about you. So I don't remember the exact circumstances that led to. I think it's the first episode where
0: Ned beheads a guy. Yes. Uh, for you know, for deserting the Honorable match. reasons. Okay. Yep. Uh, does does Stannis give the nod there? Because I mean, Stannis is telling him in this scene that honor is what got your father killed. Sure. It's kind of a fool's errand, and now he's doing these same things that his father did, and Stannis is giving the nod. I'm
1: Yeah. I, I don't I, know where that puts me. I mean, Stannis doesn't have a problem with executing people. He just burned a man <laughs> sure. alive. I, I So, agree. like, I don't yeah. think he sees that as this isn't John preserving honor. This is John preserving order and yeah. not mm-hmm. not being a bleeding heart, you know, and, and I think that's what Stannis was. He saw potential in him, but he wasn't sure if he was really tempered steel. If he had that yeah, backbone to him. This
0: is right after he gives, Al- or, or is this before? What's that? I think this is before he gives Alistair his position, this it, this discussion here. It is. That we're on. It okay. is. But but the nod is certainly after he gives Alistair that position. And he does it for honorable reasons and reasons that Stannis thinks are foolish. Um, to, You know, the keep your enemies closer thing that John says doesn't resonate with Stannis. Right. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess a nod is appropriate. Just a simple tiny little gesture versus like a discussion. Tiny. It was very tiny. Like in fact the
1: first time, because that's, you know a, He could a, have
0: just been falling asleep. I don't know.
1: <laughs> like a big component of the block was also the nod in, in mm-hmm. the books that, you know, he gives this a, a nod to John and it's you know I think if we didn't have a nod, it would have been like big big trouble in Booktown. But uh <laughs> No, I like I said, I, I thought that was fairly well executed and this. Wh- where are you on the position of this shield, the guards, the realms of men business? Cause I've been Man. having conversations with people and yeah. there are some people that know, absolutely. John has to stay at the wall. That's what his vows. And then there's other people like on the Davos side where y- if you're sitting up and freezing your ass in the castle while murderers and rapists and thieves are running around running the, the set, the seven kingdoms are you really guarding the men? Are you really guarding the Certainly.
0: realm? I think I think Davos makes a great argument here. Especially, so what is the history of the Night's Watch? Why are they guarding the Wall? Is it just because the most imminent threat to the realm was the the North, the Winter? Well, Is that why they were assigned to that position, or is there some other reason? I mean,
1: that's, that's, that's another weird thing, is that a lot of the reasons that the Night's Watch are in existence are shrouded in mystery. Like, no oh, one can even okay. no one can yeah. even tell you how the wall was would, built. There's a lot of myth, but, like, we're talking about stuff that supposedly happened thousands of years ago. Would Jon Snow, as a member of the Night's Watch, know the history? Yeah, I mean, they, they like, know that it's, a secret guarded it's the White Walkers and all that, and but most people think the White Walkers are mythical beings. Now, like mm-hmm. f- the further south you go, the more mythical. Like a lot of people yeah. down south don't believe in giants. Gi- what are giants, and like <laughs> the Night's Watch certainly believes in giants. Oh yeah. So, uh, the but no, the Night's Watch is the guard against that. The, the wall was built as a direct result from the White Walkers menacing and almost destroying entire, all of Westeros. Man, John's so, in a tough place here. That's the thing. <clears throat> Excuse me, because he's got. Stannis doesn't believe he's got to go in
0: two directions. Right. Like if he fully, if he actually believes that. The realm is not safe from the people within the realm Mm -hmm. and that there needs to be some justice brought. Sure. He's got to go south. Yep. If he wants to protect the realm from the inevitable, the impending winter, he needs to stay north. Sure. I buy Davos' argument. Sure. I think that is a a fair way to read those words.
1: But you know the White Walkers are real.
0: Yes. I know that the White Walkers are coming. Winter is coming. They're going to need a force to protect them from that. The the other thing is, who is to say what's wrong in the realm with the people in the realm? I know it's in turmoil but why does Davos so firmly believe that it's not going to draw itself to a reasonable conclusion? No,
1: I know well, I mean obviously because it's self serving. But yeah, I mean okay, you got fine. a very Wilsonian isolationist uh, you know, Lord Commander Wilson. Well, <laughs> would I- definitely espouse that theory of like, hey, we could intervene, <laughs> but it's just as likely our intervention would fuck things up as our staying away from it. It's the the real thing is, is what is the real war? Is it the war of the Seven Kingdoms, or is it the war of the White Walkers? And the other thing I was disappointed at, honestly, is that John couches this in terms of honor and duty and the, serving the Wall. Why can't he say, like, yo, these White Walkers be real? That You know, they're, they never mention that. What do you mean? To Stannis? Like, yeah, like if, if... Say, hey, we need your armies if John, up here? If John is really worried about the White Walkers, then he'd be like, fuck... Win- Here's how much I'm committed. Fuck Winterfell. You all need to help me garrison all these castles, and we need to make get ready for winter because it's coming, and we need to make a final stand. It's not about adding your army, the, the wildling army, to... To you, it's about you adding your army, and all of us men that have seen this and believe this, we need we we are the only ones that are asleep or uh, that are awake at the wheel. Everyone else is asleep. We need to do this, and there's none of that urgency. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, at least like him to present the argument and like Stannis roll his eyes and be like, (laughs) whatever. You know, the fact that he didn't advance it—that's the strongest argument in my in my mind and he's letting and yeah, profe- he's fair. letting a professional military force depart his midst without even advancing an argument. Okay,
0: yeah. Uh I feel like we have explored that topic thoroughly. Yes.
1: So, this is ter- this will probably be one of the longest podcasts because there's just so much stuff to unpack here.
0: There is. There's a lot of stuff.
1: Um podcast uh, as long as the wall.
0: I I'm I'm glad that John it doesn't just give in to the pressure to get his family name back, because like I said in the instant cast, I think that dishonors both him and his family. Sure.
1: Um And it's a power. I mean, like everything we've seen convinces us that this is an extremely appealing thing. Like the fact that he's a bastard, oh, yeah. the fact that he was never as good as his as brothers in his own eyes. He desperately wants that. Yes. This is his literal dream. Mm-hmm. Before... I mean, he settled for being a black brother because that's about as best as he could do as a bastard. Mm. But getting offered this is just incredible.
0: All right, let's move back to the House of Black and White, where a man who's a girl comes into (laughs) Arya's room and plays the game of faces, which appears to just be beating Arya. Until she cries, I don't, I can't even tell what the answer she wants is.
1: I thought thematically it was cool because she beats her and she says, I'm no one, I'm no one. And then finally she goes, you're about to find out and reaches for Needle, uh-huh. which is the one thing she can't let go of Arya Stark. Absolutely. Yeah. That, thematically that implies that she's never going to be really no one um, Certainly. until at least, you know, I mean, I guess we're looking to see whether she finally ditches Needle.
0: Yeah, and we know that she doesn't in this episode.
1: No, she it hides be, in the rocks. Like it would seriously be an emo. Like seeing her ditch needle into the Bravosi harbor or whatever would be seriously an emotional moment.
0: Mm-hmm. It was emotional for her, even thinking about it. Sure. Anyway, Jacken comes in. He puts a stop to it. He points out, uh, you know, you're surrounded by Arya Stark's things. How did a man? How did a? How did no one come to be surrounded by all this? Sure. I like the way they said that.
1: It was really good. Yeah.
0: Uh, then Arya goes outside, tosses all her possessions into the sea except for the sword, which she hides in the rock.
1: I actually love the device of Jack and being like a man and a girl. It's very, it's 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 very Yoda esque. It's yeah. it's really cool. It's very rare that you can kind of get a pigeon dialect or something like that without it being distracting or annoying. And it just not only that is just it's it's somehow cooler.
0: Yeah, and I, I like how they take you know this list of people that Arya wants to kill and this sword and tie them. So distinctly to who Arya is, because she doesn't have much of an identity outside of what she plans to do. Sure. And we're watching and the her Needle
1: is the means to get her that we're watching her vengeance. discard all of her Arya possessions except for needle. And it'll be interesting to see if we hear the prayer henceforth. Yeah, because that's the other. Those are the things that she has maintained uh, that we can see of Arya. Absolutely. Back inside, Arya's sweeping the floor is when
0: and shows up and leads her to a room where they're washing the body of a person who I think is the person who drank from this basin.
1: Can can uh, I ask a question? Yeah. How do you have an underground dungeon on a goddamn island? Uh,
0: I don't know how you build that, especially in these medieval times, but... I mean, dragon magic? We're just gonna say dragon magic? Yeah, why not? Okay. No, no. I think it's more like money magic. Money magic. Bravos has so much money that yeah, we could build an underwater the famous pumps of (laughs) Bravos. They run day and night. Sure, why not? (laughs) Uh, So she begins washing the body, trying to become no one. Apparently,
1: and what do you think? What do you think they're doing with those bodies after they wash them, Jim?
0: I think they go in an incinerator. (laughs) Really? Because they're no longer needed. And Jacket is some kind of spirit creature. I I don't know, man. That's the thing. Like, he could be anything. All right. Uh, he's as mysterious to me as the dragon magic and the Melisandre fire magic. Okay. Uh, although I think I think this group of people is a little more grounded in uh, the physical reality of the world. I, I don't yeah. know that they can actually destroy their bodies and be spirit creatures. I think maybe... It's just on a border' this is sh- some kind of paralysis that they they go through, which I don't know maybe gives them time to think and time to fully understand what it means to be no one outside of their body without the ability to do anything. do you think this is something Arya will herself will go through it, it's it's like a a meditation sort of ritual mm. I, I think yes if she wants to become a faceless person faceless man, she needs to go through that. I think that is part of what makes you a faceless man
1: M- mildly interesting okay.
0: Uh, Sansa arrives at Winterfell, and she meets Roose and Ramsay, her apparent future husband. And Ramsay's number one, number one girl does not look happy
1: with that. Uh, yeah, no, no, she doesn't. No, that's scary. And again, Theon lurking in the background the entire time. Yeah, trying not to be noticed conspicuously. Mm-hmm. Like he has no lines. He never makes uh, eye contact with anyone, but he's always there, skulking about.
0: Yeah, and it seems like there's some residual Stark love here because when she gets to a room, a woman greets her and says, "The North remembers."
1: Oh yes, got chills. That's the one yeah. line. That's the one line I uh, I think they got right.
0: Huh. Okay. So, super significant line for later, or just within the meaning for the, the scene itself? The
1: significance is entirely embedded within the line and the scene itself. Okay. The North I'm, remembers. I'm sure you would not lie to us at all. What does the North remember? <laughs> I mean, what does that mean? And what? How is that consistent with Northern philosophy? I mean, these are all things that you're supposed to be thinking about, mm-hmm. um, as as part of of the in game. Yeah. Okay. Uh, John holds a meeting with the Nights Watch,
0: and he makes Alistair the first ranger, and he gives Janos the Grey Guard. But Janos tells him to go fuck himself, sure, in no uncertain terms. Yeah. John takes him outside and cuts his head off.
1: Boom. Uh-huh. Yeah, what an asshole. Like being <laughs> being made the lord of a like yeah, it's a ruin, but you're going to have 10 of the the builders. So go fucking supervise and build yourself a castle. Like that's this is like
0: when the property brothers take you around to a house that's kind of fucked up and they go, "No, no, no, no. We're renovators. We'll fix this for you." And he's like, "No, fuck you. I don't want
1: it." I'm just saying that like <laughs> Uh, you know, Janos is an idiot, and we're supposed to think he's an idiot, and, mm-hmm. and he is a mess of a human being, but it's just like, I just gotta say, like, that's so stupid. That's a sweet, sweet offer. At bet, You know, get, Alistair Thorne deserves the first ranger spot by virtue of his career. Janos Slynt doesn't deserve shit. Yep. He was essentially a a high-class pickpocket in King's Landing, and a sycophant and a backstabber, And he, I, I, I wonder if that part of his resistance is that he knows that he couldn't do this. Maybe, like he would fail. I have no idea how to actually lead men if I can't bribe them or you know look the other way. Or I'm not standing next to an actual leader in Alistair. Yeah, or I'm not the I'm I'm not the left hand of some better lord than I am that can can get things done. Uh, Either way, massive miscalculation on his part.
0: This scene felt very. Un-Martin-like. How so? In that I got exactly what I wanted. Okay, sure. <laughs> I wanted to see this man's head lopped well, off. Well, it
1: felt very Martin-esque to me because I did not. <laughs> Wait, you didn't want this to no, go No, I did. Exactly I like... wanted the two-stage oh, execution. Oh, okay. God damn it. I wanted the hanging. <laughs> I wanted the indecision. Yeah, I wanted yeah, yeah. the moment of awesome. That's all I wanted. All I wanted was his head, and I got it. You got it.
0: I, I think that's going to be... I was just waiting for the moment where, like, Jon Snow's head comes off somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, of course, of course, it's Martin.
1: Right. Uh, no, and then again, it's not the wording. Like, again, I don't give a shit about that. It's just I thought the rhythm of the scene was off. And my, part of that might be my own expectations. But knowing that I think there was a better rhythmically uh, and, and more interesting from... Just the the rise and fall of our attention and our our, our tensions. I I don't know. I'm just a little disappointed. Okay, I think we talked a lot about this scene. We in, talked about the nod scenes, yeah. the nod that was promised. Mm-hmm. So then we go over to the High
0: Septon, who is in a brothel. He's picking up whores when the Sparrows bust in, strip him
1: naked, and parade him through the streets. Did you get it that the man is masquerading as the father? That's actually Oliver. That's the male prostitute that- was Oberyn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, he, and with, with uh, Oberon and with Loras. Loras, and yeah. With all, all all those. Sure, I recognized him. Okay, cool. Because I didn't the first time I was watching. I was just like, who's Doesn't this? he, like, he falls over and the mask comes off of him, right? I think this, uh, one or of the sparrows that? yanks his beard off and then slaps him. Oh, okay. Yeah, slaps him to the all floor. Right. Yeah. Uh, do you think that every once in a while uh, the High Septon chooses the Father to worship? I Maybe. Maybe. It doesn't matter. I'm sure. It it doesn't probably. matter. Probably. No. Yeah,
0: he's... Maybe he's just like Oberyn.
1: He likes the cousin It girls, apparently. I guess so, yeah. A stranger. That would be fucking weird. Yeah, hair over your face. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Anyway, uh he he then goes to Cersei to find some justice and she asks who did it and where to find him.
1: Although I I also we haven't mentioned this in either cast, it was super funny to me when <laughs> They forced him to march naked and started beating him and making him exposed as privates. He's like, so when did this stop being sexy for him? <laughs> like, maybe this is just the extra service he's paying for. You you do know the naked parade and the, the humiliation and the whipping streets extra, right? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I can afford it. I've got these rocks. They need to get off.
0: Uh, the other really funny thing in this scene when he goes to to Cersei's, uh, the, the hands chambers, I guess, is where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh the High Septon doesn't know Kybern's name, no. which I thought was pretty funny. And Ky- it doesn't matter. He's like introducing himself, oh, you and you. Ooh. Oh, I don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wonder what the maester is up to, the grand maester, because he's like, oh, man's affairs
1: ought to remain private. I think that's just a funny callback to him it? being now. a decrepit old man, but he's really getting down with the ladies in secret. Yeah. And then, uh, also this, the side eye that Cersei gave him (laughs) and held for like three seconds was just great. It was great.
0: Uh, so Cersei then goes to the High Sparrow to see him and she talks with him for a while and basically condones his actions. And he seems to be surprised by that, that she's not there for some kind of retribution. Sure. Um... There, there's a lot of stuff in this scene that's kind of giving us a glimpse into the the society that is the Sparrows. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy has been labeled the high sparrow by outsiders does not feel like he wants that name. Um, feels that everybody is equal in this thing. It's very Christ-like.
1: Uh, I mean the whole that's, sure. The ministry to the poor, the 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 you know, the lowest is, is as important as the highest. I mean it's very it's very, very Christian themed.
0: Okay. I I have a hard time reconciling that with the hierarchy
1: that is most religions, but sure. But he doesn't, he rejects that hierarchy. He, he does, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I The like, religions certainly don't. I mean, and, Jesus did, like, they fucking tried to crown him, I don't know how many times, uh, you know, putting him on she-asses and laying down the palm fronds oh, and noting yeah. his feet and all the time. Jesus is a stand-up guy, but. Sure. So I'm saying, you know, what has come do you think this after? High Septon is a stand-up guy? Do you think that he is as pious uh, as as we're led to believe and benevolent as we're led to believe? Uh, where I don't know about benevolent, but I certainly believe him when he says that he does not like to be viewed
0: differently than any of his other
1: sparrows. What about his reaction when he allowed that perhaps, you know, it's like you have to lance boil, and it's, it's not, not pleasant, mm-hmm. and how... But perhaps they could have been more careful with the blade. Seems to be a repudiation of exactly what the his sparrows did, right? They're not even his sparrows, I think so. but this, his fellow sparrows did. You, what do you what what do you think he would have seen as justice? Like, where did they go too far? Like the physical striking?
0: I well, I don't even know. So it seems like he Leaving got and
1: beaten and bloody at the, at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, he got a pretty rough treatment at the end. But on the other hand, if the guy just quit cupping his junk and let everybody see what he's working with, he might not have gotten beaten so much.
0: Maybe not. Maybe <laughs> not. But th- that's the part that I think he didn't agree with. I think the humiliation was what he was going for. Sure. Uh, the the public knowledge of what this man's doing, that sort of thing. The, the other the thing... The sins that he's committing.
1: The other thing that I wonder is if you have, I mean, <laughs> this leaderless movement, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been an interesting thing in this internet age. Like, who do you hold responsible for people that commit crimes under the names of a leaderless movement.
0: Yeah, especially if he's...
1: All he's got to say is, well, oh, that's not something disavowing I Disavowing
0: knowledge and condemning the actions, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That is... I mean, that's a problem even in very hierarchical structures. Sure. Like, you know, the Catholic Church, things right. like that. But uh, at least
1: there's someone you can plausibly hold responsible because it's like, okay, this... In the chain of command, like, you, they can try to dodge it, but there is a chain of command and someone needs to take responsibility. Yeah, In a leaderless organization... When you're dealing with a disamorphous or completely absent chain of command, if everything's flat, then you know every good thing can be claimed as your side, and every atrocity can be said. Oh, well, that's not. It's the one true Scotsman. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Fallacy. Uh-huh. So I I think it's going to be interesting to see how they do uh, with this. I was also I finally recognize after the third viewing where I saw seen this guy before. He plays General Perone in Madonna's Vita. Uh, musical okay. movie. So I, he, I
0: I know I've seen him in other places. I, yeah, but that's the one that's like, I've never jumped seen out that.
1: Yeah. No, really? No, no. I've you never, don't watch
0: Broadway musicals? I, I've never seen that. <laughs> no. Uh, the, the other thing that the I, High have, Sparrow the, the thing that, uh, Cersei says about, you know, the faith in the crown being the two pillars of the kingdom, mm. holding it up. And if one falls, the other does as well. You can really have as many pillars as you want, right? Labeling them pillars is arbitrary, and that's that
1: would be another fallacy, the false dichotomy. Yes,
0: I. Well, that's not really a false dichotomy, Isn't but it's it? uh, well, dichotomy is saying this or that uh, must be true. Okay, Uh it, this is more like just arbitrary labeling things that you like as good. Sure, uh, it's it's almost like some sort of bias. I don't. I don't know what it is
1: exactly, but it's the back that scratcher's struck me as bias what it sounds like. It's like, hey, back I scratcher's I, bias. Yeah, I'm I'm helping you out here and I'm telling you how important you are. And oh, hey, I'm important, too. So you need to help me. I mean, she could
0: just as easily label. I don't know the the citizenry. As one of those pillars, right? Sure, or journalists. Yeah, there. there's any number of things you could label as a pillar. She just chooses sure. the ones that are most convenient at any given moment. Sure, sure. Uh, I thought that was at least worth pointing out. So then Cersei goes to Qyburn's chambers and tells him to get a message to Littlefinger. Also, the mountain moves.
1: He, he really does. <laughs> it really does. I, I blame the High Sparrow's faith the size of a mustard yeah. grain. You mm-hmm. can move mountains. <laughs> <laughs> Just to keep the Christ imagery going. Uh, what did you think? So what? what, what I, I thought it was awesome because I, uh-huh. I thought it was, they're being so brazen in showing that there is something going on where it's, you know, only very, it's only hinted in the books.
0: Oh, really? Okay. That something
1: like this is going down. I don't know. I, I, I People miss it. Like after you've read the theories and you see it, like it's like, okay, well, obviously, but. I think a lot of people on a plane reading without the benefit of the internet would, would miss the fact that yeah. the Kyberns doing something untoward with the Mountain's body. To what mm-hmm. end? It's made very obvious in this episode. Or Hell in, yeah. in,
0: in the, the show even up to now, you
1: know? Yeah. No. I mean, like I said, I thought it was I thought it was obvious and, like, kind of shockingly so when they had the big body there in the sheet. Mm-hmm. When it, they got a it twitch, and it's like, wow, they really think some people are dumb here. Uh, where, <laughs> it's where, pretty easy, yeah. Where is the mountain who sits on a slab, lays on a slab? Where, where's he, where's he going in this plot? Man, wow. I keep asking you about. That's things. just such
0: an open ended question. Like, I feel like to know that you have to know Kybern's motives, and I don't know enough about Kybern yet to to tell what his motives are.
1: Sure. Do you think he's just a, a lackey of Cersei? No. All right.
0: No, he's too uh, He's too slippery for that. Okay. I, I can't get my head around who this guy is, really,
1: but we'll see. One thing I'm super interested in is what the hell the message to Littlefinger says. Yeah, it's something immediately. Something immediately. Um, I mean, I'm assuming that Cersei has not heard about the Sansa stuff. I don't think so. Even though Littlefinger's being shockingly open about it, as we discussed. Mm-hmm. And and I I, but yeah what what would she be saying needs to happen immediately that would reach him at the Erie and would use his powers of I guess you know warden of the uh, the East uh, to to yeah I I can't think of anything
0: I suppose it could be simple as simple as just. Get back here! I need your services. I've in got this an idiot as master thing. of
1: the coin. I'm bleeding, <laughs> or that yes. I'm bleeding money <laughs> left and right. I need you back here. With yeah, your we're eating and... potatoes. The wine is gone. Yes, like, yes. Come back. Yes, I need you to rub two dragon, you know, two gold dragons together and make three. I. <sighs> it could be that simple, but something Nothing tells me ever it's not. Is.
0: Not in this world. Uh, but I don't know that we're we're not supposed to know yet. I don't think. Anyway, Ramsey thanks Littlefinger for bringing Sansa to him and promises, I will never hurt her
1: in his <laughs> weird Ramsay voice. Do you buy that promise? No, of
0: course not. He's Ramsay
1: Bolton. Good, because <laughs> uh, this, you know, again, um, My, I guess I should have said mild interest, <laughs> but come no, on, come who on. am I fooling? Yeah. Ramsay... Again, this doesn't happen in the book. Santa doesn't get married to Ramsey Bolton, so I don't know what the fuck's going on. But I'm saying Ramsey's promised not to hurt somebody. I've seen him promise. Mm -hmm. I've seen him claim to be the rescuer of someone that's – it's, you know, his mind Uh games. Now, the only thing I think is, is he on Ramsey's side? Is he still loyal to his father? Can his father still – at what point does he like, fuck you, old man. I'm going to flay and do whatever I want. So I see. And how does him, Miranda, the 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 head of the torture horrors, how does she fit into all this?
0: That final question, I don't know. I view Ramsey as a character who is grateful for being given this lordly name, this this noble name. He did seem genuinely touched. He did, and I, I don't think he's a complete psychopath, but I do think he has tendencies and desires that he's drawn toward inexorably. I don't know that he can
1: resist being the Ramsey ramsey snow plus he's a good actor he is yeah. now theon is he's he was inclined to believe it but he completely took him in and seemed very sincere about being an iron you know a loyal iron islander and loyal to the gray so it's like yeah him i was pretty swayed by him being so touched that his father would elevate him to, uh, from bastardry but then i start thinking the, you know how many times he's played other people and how cruel i yeah i he might he might be a sociopath <laughs> he could, he could no, I be. know he is a sociopath. <laughs> Fuck I don't think that's very. If. I don't need the DSM four or five to diagnose no. the man. No, it's he's a sociopath. <laughs> I agree. Uh, then Roose comes
0: up, and he and Littlefinger have a chat about the political ramifications of Sansa's marriage. And Roose gives him a message from Cersei, and kind of questions his motivations, and I guess his wisdom as well. Um, you know, this is going to stir up
1: some potential trouble. See, and there's got to be something negative about that, because Roose gave him enough rope to hang himself, because he's like, well, what about the Lannisters? Aren't you worried about the Queen? And Littlefinger's like, ah, fuck the Lannisters. They're dead. Their power is waning. And then he's like, bam, look at this message. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I could send- say. But
0: Littlefinger has a good response for that. I mean, you know, the last time the Lords of the North and the Lords of the Va- the Eyrie yep. teamed up, they took down the most powerful force and sure whatever he
1: says the, the Targaryen dynasty is the, roughly yes, the ruled dynasty. ruled for 300 years over mm-hmm. seven kingdoms that had never been conquered so impressive but on the other yeah. hand I thought Roos had a good response which is let me see 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 me in on that response he's not a dumb man certainly no. Uh, no. I, I would probably do the same thing can Littlefinger win a game of poker against Bolton with his cards face up as essentially what he's gonna have to do here Are,
0: is are he... you sure his cards are
1: face up? Well, I mean, I'm, <laughs> what I'm saying is this he he at least can't hide what he's saying to Cersei. Okay, yeah. For as long as he stays in Winterfell anyway. I mean, I guess he could get away from Winterfell and send another raid. I mean, there's lots of things he could do, but... Well, the Cersei thing doesn't seem to be
0: part of his plan. It's part of whatever Cersei's plan she dreamed up is. Sure. Uh, that's just kind of a side tour for him but it um, might
1: say something incriminating or making ruse believe that sure she's it could not, be like a jorah sort of thing right <laughs> yeah or it could just be like you know maybe cersei's done and over with but she doesn't think she is mm-hmm. and that's could still be a problem for us both
0: it could it could I, I can't help but assume that Littlefinger, being as uh okay with risk as he is isn't going to at some point make a bad play or sure. just get beat by a better hand. If you yeah. want to use a poker analogy, yeah, go all in at the wrong time. And that, that definitely feels like how things go down. Sure. In, <laughs> in the realm. Anyway, um, Reek is trying to avoid being seen by Sansa in this scene, which is kind of interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what would happen if he's seen by Sansa. I don't really know. It's a damn good question. Uh, It's not something I've given much thought to, so I assume uh, we can move on. Tyrion's going stir-crazy in the wheelhouse and decides he's going to get out at Volantis.
1: The emailers last week, observation that these guys are like an old gay couple, Mm -hmm. has destroyed their scenes for me. Oh, God. (laughs) Because I can't see out of any other lens. Like, just, I'm so tired of your goddamn face.
0: It's a perfectly good
1: face. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Well, (laughs) 20 years ago, now look at you. Oh, my God. Um, No, it's, it's yeah, it's just, Tyrion is, what's interesting about this is you always see is Tyrion is the one down, he's the the... Always been looked down on because he's a he's a disappointment to his father. Mm-hmm. um His sister hates him because he she's re- he's responsible for the death of their mother in a roundabout way. All these things, and you've always felt sorry for him. But here you see kind of like what an entitled shit he is. Like yeah. yes, 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 you are a dwarf and all that, but you also were one of the richest men and most powerful men in Westeros. Mm-hmm. And he like tell Anne Frank this shit. <laughs> oh, you don't know, you can't stand to be in a box. I mean, his life is in danger and he just, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was driving me crazy in these scenes. How what a yeah, I mean, stupid how idiot does, he was being. Sure, but how much does he
0: care, right? I mean There's his whole that. his whole speech along this road is I'm gonna drink myself to death.
1: You're right. I mean part of this could be the seeing, world is shit sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. You're you're right. A lot of this is probably just uh inadvisable risk taking because he does not yeah. care. Yeah. But it's still hard to watch because I agree. I really like Tyrion and I don't want to see him dead and Me either. he is acting like a complete fool. He is. He is. So he, he gets out, and they, you know,
0: wander around the city a little bit, and we can talk about some of that later, but they end up in a brothel where Jorah is wallowing in pity here, self-pity, and he spots Tyrion and captures him, claiming, I'm taking you to the queen.
1: So we skipped over one of the big, or where I think is an important part, which is uh-huh. this discussion, uh, this this meeting of this priestess of the Lord of Light. I thought it was interesting that Varys was making very clear how orderly that the, the volu- uh, Voluntary, oh shit, the, the Volantis yeah. um, takes their slave trade and everything's rigid and, you know, this guy's like, they make it sure it's tattooed and everything's just precise. Yet they are allowing this openly very seditious talk of the Queen of Dragons overthrowing the master and I used to be a slave like you and now look at me. That just happened in the streets. Yeah. That's that, weird. <laughs> it was very weird to me. Like, what the hell? Are the you know are the Volante, like ruthless slavers, or are they thumb up their ass, or maybe they, I guess you can be both. Um, I mean, Joffrey yeah, was that was classic, cruel, thumb up his ass kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that was interesting. The very significant look between those two.
0: Yeah, there is. I I don't know why. Um, okay, because I, as far as I know, they've never met. He talks about uh, another person. Who who was like her in another sure. city, but not as good looking. Right. Uh, it felt to me like this scene was to show us that, despite Danny's actions in the previous episode, she's not lost all goodwill with slaves. Sure. Across the land, uh, and I don't know if that's because the message has not gotten there yet, or if it's because it didn't have as big of an impact as
1: it looked like. Or on her reputation. It could be she's like going undergoing a Batman esque transformation into a symbol that's larger than herself. OK, I mean, you know, I there there's I mean, she is referenced specifically, but yeah, if there, there, I feel like there is they're openly asking us to consider things through these messianic lenses by having, mm-hmm. you know, the high septon talk the way or the high spirit talk the way he does. And, and Tyrion is like, oh, it's the chosen one. You should have told me they're mm-hmm. inviting us to look at these comparisons and asking us to think about it in those ways. The other thing they're doing is inviting us to uh, wonder why Tyrion will not fuck this whore. Oh well, before you get to that, okay. Another mention of grayscale in conjunction with stone men. Yeah, just a different name for it. Yeah, I feel in like a different land. Yeah, yeah, I mean it seems consistent with what uh, Gilly was describing mm-hmm. their appearance as, and and you know Tyrion hopefully trans helpfully translates it to the, oh yeah grayscale. Good luck with preventing that. But more talk of grayscale. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mildly yeah, interesting.
0: Maybe it's tied up with the winter. I don't know.
1: Could be. Could be.
0: Anyway, so he won't fuck this whore. Uh, my opinion on this is he doesn't want to have a repeat of the Shay situation.
1: Uh, he is, well could I mean, be he had his heart on Daenerys Titgarian <laughs> and uh, can't get her, and <laughs> Jesus. it's just you, you're it not going to. You know, if you, you got the the queen, the mother dragons on your radar, you're just not going uh, to choke down to some uh, uh, skeptical mind. But no, yeah, he's I think I think my explanation is a little a little more on the nose. Well, I think it's mildly interesting, Jim. Okay.
0: We'll have to see. Yeah. Uh I mean, we've been shown how how much he regrets that how that all went down. Uh it was a crime over of the the passion of several This episodes. isn't something no.
1: he coldly planned to kill. He was yeah. a shock to find defi- I mean, there is already the betrayal. Of her turning against him and, and turning state's witness against him in a trial for his life. Mm-hmm. But then to find her in his father's bed after his father has all his entire life punished him for his whoring impulses and and it just it broke him. And you know, we're I like I said, I, I hate to see him in this self loathing, self destructive manner, but it's not like he didn't earn it. Yeah, I agree with
0: you. And that's the episode basically i mean ends on an imp napping i can't imagine that this is what the road to marine looked like (laughs) for varus when he said that's where volantis goes sure uh it's probably an alternate route a side road uh i wonder if Varys is going to catch back up with him or not it's a good question. I, I don't think Varys knows that he's been abducted or anything like that.
1: And you think, I believe, from the instant cast that you see this uh, thing with Jorah is just straight up trying to get into Danny's goodwill?
0: I think so. I mean, if you say, I'm taking you to the queen, he doesn't mean Cersei. I can't imagine that he means Cersei. His queen is Daenerys. What? Hmm. But before, I mean, before... I mean, unless he's just really jaded with Daenerys at this point, I'm just saying. But it doesn't that look like one, it.
1: One, well, just, 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 just <laughs> okay. to point out the facts. If we just deal with the facts, All right. He was sure, a Columbo. he was a slaver that got caught and he fled he fled justice and going to Essos and became kind of an amoral sellsword. Mm-hmm. And up until he fell in love with Danny, that's who he was. So. You know, I think we're clearly shown to be expect him to go to the Queen, but your alternate take of taking to Cersei would be consistent in this character as well. I think he's he's more invested in Danny at this
0: point. Okay. And I man, for, for Cersei to do what she does to him, although I no, I guess that was Tywin that did that. Sent the letter that got him kicked out. Mm. Yeah, I just can't imagine that his queen is anyone other than Danny. Mm. At this point, yeah, you're
1: right. He's got as much to be angry with the Lannisters as he does. I don't think he's angry with Cersei. I think he feels ashamed because uh, he was betraying the person he ended up loving. Yeah, yeah. When he's wallowing in the bar, sure. certainly,
0: and and I, I don't know, the, Which these is, are it, definitely connected. When he yeah. sees Danny being paraded around as this whore and this laughable thing, he, sure, he's very upset by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would fall right in line with him still holding a, a candle for Danny, and sure. One to bring Tyrion to her, all right, because that's going to be a great bargaining chip, right? I mean,
1: well, I that's the thing. What does this, he know here, about what's happened in King's Landing? That's the thing. Like, I feel like his uh, his plan is, <laughs> sou- is very South Parkian. It's step one, uh-huh. kidnap Tyrion, step two, question, 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 step three, Danny kisses me. You know, it's like,
0: yeah, I don't no, know that he's
1: that really hmm. thought this through of what she will think about any of this. So, it,
0: it, maybe the bargaining chip goes the other way. Not that Cersei would want to have him back because it's her brother, but because she would like to have him killed, and he can win some favor by bringing that to Danny. Danny can get a meeting or something with Cersei. I don't know. I,
1: don't I mean, know. clearly there is. You can just look at the one way that Daenerys would love to kill uh, one of the people that were an important member of the family that betrayed hers. It seems like they're a better use. They're all usurpers, right?
0: For, for a family member than just killing them. Sure. Killing your own pawns is not a great idea. It
1: does seem like that's been a consistent theme in to the show, too. Like, if you kill a hostage, it's almost always seen as a stupid thing to do. Yeah. I don't think Littlefinger would do that. Even Ramsay Bolton wouldn't. He'll chop his yep. balls off and mutilate him, sure. But he's not mm. going to kill Theon. That's a useful hostage.
0: Might as well kill Tyrion if you chop his balls off.
1: because He's done it to himself. He is mentally neutered himself. You're right. It's a a sad state of affairs. All right. That's it for the episode. This week's sponsor is Audible, and you can get a free audiobook just by using our exclusive link, audiblepodcast.com slash GOT, uh, to start your trial. And again, get a free credit for an audiobook, which could be any one of George Martin's a Game of Thrones series, or rather a Song of Ice and Fire series. They've got... Or the, any of
0: their 180,000-plus books.
1: And not just <laughs> books. They've got all kinds of interviews and other spoken word types yeah, of, yeah. of entertainment and information. And uh, what's really cool is that I we we asked Audible if we could use clips from their books in these ads and all, elsewhere in our podcast to kind of give people an idea of what they're missing out on. And they said yes. So instead of me telling you how awesome it is this week, we're going to play the pivotal moment between Janus Slint and Jon Snow as it goes down in the book. Read by the great Roy Dotrice.
2: Stannis stood on the steps of the king's tower, surrounded by his knights. If the boy thinks that he can frighten me, he is mistaken, they heard Lord Janus say. He would not dare to hang me. Janus Slint has friends, important friends. Oh, you'll see the wind whipped away the rest of his words. This is wrong, John thought. Stop! Emmet turned back, frowning. My lord? I will not hang him, said John. Bring him here. Oh, seven savers, he heard Bowen Marsh cry out. The smile that Lord Janus Slint smiled then had all the sweetness of rancid butter, until John said, Ed, Fetch me a block, an unsheathed long claw.
1: So that's kind of an interesting alternate universe take. Uh, maybe you can get a, a little bit of idea of what I was bitching about now. Uh, I think it's – reading the the Song of Ice and Fire series completely changed my experience with watching the show Game of Thrones. And if you're the type of person who really likes lore and really likes – really deep uh, historical context for actions, and uh, and really likes to intrigue. It's so much more broader and deeper in the books, and this is a great way to experience it. Uh, I highly recommend everybody going to audiblepodcast.com slash GOT and give it a shot. It literally costs you nothing. All right, we have some feedback, yeah? I, we do. We do have some feedback. Uh, before we get to that, I, I wanted to put a couple inside jokes and stuff that I gleaned from the internet. Okay. One is the High Sparrow talking about the absurdity of his title, and he's like, oh, it's like a Lord Duckling or King Turtle. <laughs> uh, a lot of fans are saying that that is actually a nod to George Martin uh, because he says, and I'm, I'm throwing up um, throwing a picture of him on the video stream, but you know, George is famous for having that black kind of, I don't know what you call that, steamboat captain cap. Sure. But he's got this, like, turquoise turtle pendant, uh, and he's always said that his house sigil would be turtle because he likes them. Um, so okay, that was kind of a reference to King King George, essentially. Also, uh, I really like this one because I'm hip-deep into Destiny right now, but there is an elaborate uh, Tyrion and Ghost joke because Peter Dinklage plays the voice of your little robot buddy Ghost in the Destiny game. Uh if you look at the scene where he's in the wheelhouse, the wagon wheel or whatever the hell you call that thing, his traveling prison, <laughs> uh, and, and everyone has the same reaction. When I first read it, I'm like, oh, fuck off. And then I looked at the picture, yeah. I'm like, oh. And then Jim, the same thing. I'm like, did you hear this? He's like, oh, fuck off. Check out this. Um, oops, wrong tab. <laughs> yeah. That okay. is, uh uh-huh. That's tearing with Ghost over his shoulder. Yeah, definitely. That that was pretty – I thought that was a pretty sly sly reference to uh, his uh, video game role there. Anyway, if you can't you – know, obviously, if you're not watching the video stream, you can't see this, but uh, I will post both those pictures in the show notes. All right. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to ask you, because this has come up in a spoiler cast a lot, and I'm going to sanitize it and just see your non-book <laughs> reader. Uh, there's a lot of people worried about omissions from the TV show. And things that are being left out, characters being left out, plots being left out. Uh And the question is, are we to assume that these things aren't important? Are these things, like, just red herrings? Uh, Do these things have, you know, is is the, all these things I read and loved in the books have no meaning? Not knowing the context of that, and being a show watcher only, what is your, do you have a, 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 do you have any kind of, Thoughts on that matter?
0: Yeah, I don't think Game of Thrones is above not showing us things strategically. Mm. I definitely think that they could be not showing us things on purpose, uh, in order to have them, you know, have a bigger effect a greater effect later on, and also and, and un- unveil them in just the right way.
1: That is certainly a possibility, and I also think the other possibility is that you know I talked about the books being a more richer, realistic, more historic perspective. And I, in the last spoiler cast, I likened it to like Tom Cruise's Valkyrie. Okay. That's a plot in World War II. It's real and it goes nowhere. It's a, it's a plot to assassinate Hitler that That failed. Uh And it matters nothing to the stream of history. Um, but it is a rich detail in that overall conflict. And can you say that that plot doesn't, did, went nowhere? Sure. Uh huh. But, it's an think, exciting story. <laughs> I think there are some plots that are thrown in there as book readers because you know there's a thousand pages and he's trying to kind of uh, fool us into thinking things are going one way and kind of rope a dope us. And these are some of the tools. These these red herrings are some of these tools he uses. So I, I you know I think we're on the same wavelength on that. And mm-hmm. I I would hate to see book readers be dismayed that probably less than half of what's on the pages of these last two books are going to make it onto the screen. Oh wow. Okay. Maybe, I don't know. But it'd, it'd be interesting. You know, traditionally – well, let's go ahead and get into the feedback because I think there's something real uh, close up front here about that subject. Josh M. says, there's a theory about the conversation between Tyrion and Jamie about the cousin Orson who was – res- uh, that was – it was a yeah. response to the author Orson Scott Card's harsh w- words about the show. I'm not too familiar about the, I guess, dispute that Orson Card has with Game of Thrones. I've never heard of this. But I know that, you know, he's got some fairly outspoken political views that probably are well outside the Game of Thrones milieu. Okay. Uh, but anyway, you know, obviously it's a dimwit cousin named Orson who smashes Beatles for no big for no reason at all. It's uh, the showrunner's dig at uh, Orson's Endergame where a boy kills a race of alien insects. hmm what do you think? Do you buy that? It's more of a stretch than uh, seeing
0: Ghost over Tyrion's shoulder there. <laughs> I gotta say. I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with the controversy or the, not what either. Orson has said about Game of Thrones either.
1: There's a HuffPost uh, article write-up on it that I will also post in the show notes. It's going to be a hefty show notes this this uh, episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke N. just wanted to point out something. Uh, that there needn't be any secrecy about the identity of the Sand Snakes. Alaria does explain who they are. She says, while discussing Oberyn's murder and Doran's inaction, the Sand Snakes are with me. They have the love of their people. They will avenge their father while you sit there in your chair doing nothing. So really, this isn't about book knowledge. There isn't need for anyone to be in the dark about this or believe they are some rogue faction like the Sons of the Harpy. They've already been induced introduced in dialogue. Here, Alaria reveals they're Oberyn's daughters, the eight daughters who Oberyn himself talked to Cersei about in Season 4 in the Gardens of the Red Keep. So yes, but I think it's it's a little. It's, it hinges on their father, and I completely, I, I you know, watching as many times as we did and discussing it, it completely spaced on that. Sure, I mean that tells you who they are, not what they want, though. Yes, so
0: like. I, I think there's still a lot of mystery around the sand snakes. Indeed. In in general.
1: Indeed, but we were debating whether or not we knew they were his daughters and that, yeah, that we were, part of specifically. It, yeah, we fucked up. And- uh Brian 8 says, with the TV show going so far off the book plot lines, it'd be great to hear a brief spoiler instant take at the end of Sunday night's production. Just a quick 5 minutes or so of Aaron's reaction to the curveballs, the double-D's of Thernus would be great. What do you think about that? Do you have an opinion on it because I just worry that the more this series diverges, that I have these moments of I'm not even sure which was the book version or which is the show version when I think back, especially like when you're looking at books, you know, one through two or whether we know something happened or Mm I and I'm worried that off the cuff, I would just say a bunch of stupid stuff. Yeah,
0: it also changes our our flow, our uh, process significantly. Yeah. Like I'm recording the stuff on my computer. Yeah. I can't you, be in the you room have to leave spoiler the stuff. And I'd have
1: to just <laughs> assume everything's going
0: to plan over on that screen. It yeah. would, it would definitely change our process. I, I don't know. Is it, is it that important to have five minutes or just wait until Friday? When I imagine
1: that you've got 45 minutes. That's the thing. I imagine that yes, book readers would love to get it and love to get it in advance. But again, I don't know if, you know, sometimes it's one of those things where, what you want is a five minute version of the spoiler cast comes out on Friday. What you're going to get, get <laughs> is me like ah, you know, I think, you know, and all that uh-huh. stuff. So I don't know if I, yeah, you do a lot of research for those spoiler things. And, and obviously, if I felt like I could pull it off in a way that pe- that I wouldn't en- that I would be proud of, I would consider doing it. So I'll, I'll I'll noodle on the concept and think. And the other thing is not every week. You know, some some weeks it's like. There's not going to be hardly anything to talk about, and some weeks there's going to be a ton to talk about. So mm-hmm. we'll see how it goes. But thanks for the suggestion there, Brian. Joe in Maine says, Can you please hu- humor me why Brianne wouldn't have mentioned to Sansa that she just saw Aria within a moon's turn ago? I understand that when Aria and the Hound made it to the Eerie, the guards thought Sansa was Elaine and wouldn't have con- made the connection. Uh, But when Brienne just doesn't even mention that Arya denied her her service, too, it seems like they are purposefully avoiding the scenario where Sansa finds out that her sister is still alive. That's not a terrible point. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. That seems a little strange. I mean, you have to weigh... The only thing I could say is that if Brienne... And I think I even mentioned this. If Brienne says, oh, yeah, I also tried this with your sister first and she rejected me, you got to weigh the value that Sansa would place on finding out her sister was alive and you just let her go? You let my little sister, <laughs> annoying little sister...
0: There's that, and I don't know if you want Littlefinger to know that.
1: That's the, also a dangerous thing, that yeah? clever... Or not clever in his smarts, but clever in the kind of ways of manipulation.
0: Clever enough to understand that Littlefinger little shouldn't have yeah, that Yeah, obviously, info? yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, the way you say it, that... Uh
0: like, m- Maybe. I think she's
1: that smart. Yeah. I, I don't know. She hasn't shown me that she's particularly dumb. So I'm not saying smart. I'm talking about uh, clever in like the sense, like clever as a fox kind of way. But I I I don't know. That's the only <laughs> defense I can think of that she thought that that would make her look even more foolish, and maybe mm-hmm. as you say, keeping the information out of Littlefinger because otherwise you'd think that Sansa would least like to know that she is not the last surviving Stark. That she you, that you she would knows think so. Uh, Frankie R. said, Wanted to get my two cents in on the iron corn Jack and Hagar gives to our little badass in training. In my mind, this is GRRM's medieval interpretation of a military or industrial challenge coin. You're not familiar, familiar with the idea. It's basically a coin carried by members of a military unit, a guild, or social clubs that prove membership. They're usually associated with a motto or creed, much like Valor Morculus. These can be used to prove affiliation within a group that would explain why a ship's guild member would have cared so much about the coin. The person is affiliated with a powerful guild and should command some respect. Challenge coins can also be given to people, but only in special circumstances. So the idea of giving Arya the coin carries some weight and tells the people of the House of Black and White that she has done something worthy of having membership just by holding the coin. I for, I feel like I had this conversation with Mad Brew maybe in Season 2, because he's familiar, you know, being a Marine and being yeah. around the military, he's more familiar with that, and I think he mentioned that too, and I'd just forgotten, but... Mm-hmm. That I think it's more that than anything that we are theorizing. I think so.
0: Yeah, sounds good.
1: Um, Alex in San Diego said the scene with Brienne and Pod making camp and exchanging stories was both great and heartbreaking at the same time. Great because they're finally opening up to one another and she agrees to train him, but heartbreaking to hear her story about the dance. She's insecure, but a great warrior paired with a squire that lacks an ability, but makes up for it with a watchful eye and charm. All that being said, how long until Pod shows Brienne his faceless man, shows her his casterly rock, gives the sentence, and swings the sword? I think there's some if innuendo you know what I mean, in this sentence.
0: <laughs> Brienne isn't the
1: best looking, but she's loyal and a fierce warrior. That that email took a turn <laughs> it into, did. It into did. slash fiction. Uh, well, I, What do you think about that? If Pod I, and Brienne hooking up. You if know? I were Pod, I wouldn't mind climbing that tree. Sure. It's a tall tree. Yeah, it's a climb. It's, uh, yeah, that, that would be a... Uh, that would be a notch in one's belt. Uh and uh you know, Pod's got some cert- unlike his yeah. horsemanship and his shoe polishing and his sword fighting, he does have some some of those other skills that he could he could offer in service to her.
0: Apparently so. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I like the relationship as it is, more of uh friends yeah. than lovers. I No, I come on.
1: I know. they I it's gonna be it'd be farce if they hook up. I, I think so, yeah. And not to say that they – they're above going to farce in this show, but I just think it would be a farce. And S said, I have a quick word about your thoughts on Tommen consummating the marriage opposed to – as opposed to Sans and Tyrion not doing so. I think it goes back to the idea that when girls lose their virginity, they have lost something they cannot take back. Having become a woman when they begin menstruation, they really have nothing to gain from sex. However, when boys lose their virginity, they gain manhood and have n- really lost nothing. Also, virginity in women is considered a virtue, while virginity in men is considered a burden, and shameful past a certain age. So if Sansa had been willing and consummated the marriage with Tyrion, she would have lost so much more than she would have gained. Tommen achieved manhood, so it seems less gross. Uh, she hastens to add, I do not support this view of virginity and sexuality, but in a patriarchal society, this is how it goes. Sure. Um, and it's a shame that we have to bolt that on to everything we say about that, but yeah. yeah. I, I buy that. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there's a lot of that goes on nowadays. Uh, so you take us back a thousand years and probably more so.
0: Yeah. I could go to any high school across the country and you'll get that. Oh, the
1: the slut shaming. Sure. The double stand. I mean, there's, there's tons of double standards. And the thing is, is a lot of times people use it to get on a high horse and say, oh, well, feminism's not really, or we should really, it's all the same. It's all in my mind, symptoms of the same disease, which is the uh, burden of patriarchy the society. Like almost every issue that you subscribe to, like men's rights comes down to that unfair, being on the the, the wrong side of the unfair double standard.
0: Sure. And it's, you know, it's, it's magnified sure. in this world, in this sure. game of Thrones world. Yeah. So
1: Robert R said, listening to the instant cast and Aaron's disappointment in the book versus show for being for John's big moment. Although it's not as catchphrasy as get me my stump or whatever, I like the more layered version of the show portrayed. (laughs) Ed, get me my stump. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I haven't uh, – that would mean something totally different if Mm -hmm. Jamie was saying it. Mm -hmm. Yes, it would. Braun, fetch me my stump. I haven't read this in the book, but it sounds like the retelling of the book version is full of bravado and with a defiant crybaby till the end when John puts on his Terminator shades and looks at the camera and says, I'll be back. And bros across the nation high five. I'm not sure if that's a fair characterization of the the passage, but I did a bad job describing it apparently. Hmm. Uh, This was a more poignant to me moment that he was denied mercy at the end um, and almost gave in and that to anyone witnessing it could have been viewed as more cold-blooded and calculating or just and necessary. Or maybe even the torn looks John flashed before he almost gives in to the mercy, uh, cries of mercy. In any case, with the books and show diverging more and more, and showing some, uh, and the show heading into unbooked territory, I like getting the update once something is done in the show of how it differed from the books and the thoughts of a book reader after the fact, and especially the things that are new or have not been reached in the books. Um, so that's kind of been our tradition on this podcast, stretching back to the old Night's Watch, the defunct Night's Watch podcast. Is that the end of the season and the wrap up, we do a difference between the books and the show. I despair of doing that this season because it could be a five hour podcast on its own. I Mm -hmm. I'll see what we come up with, or maybe if things kind of come back around, I I just don't know. Um, And especially when we're in like things like Sansa and Winterfell in the North territory, where there literally isn't ink written about it yet. Yep. It's going to be tough to, to say what's the difference because I need to wait till like apparently spring of 2016 to tell you that I'll tell you what I'll call George this weekend See if he'll give me a few hints.
0: Okay, yeah. Uh, for, find for, find for, out what he's going to let for the, podcast,
1: George, mm-hmm. for the podcast, George, for the podcast. He'll say, well, let me listen to the pod, and then that, the note, that, that'll the that end it. Uh, Patience B said, hey, guys, I listened to the book on Audible, and I prefer to show's version of beheading a Janos Slint. I thought I was too drawn out in the books. The quick decision to behead and the commitment to that decision really showed the rest of the men that John wasn't wishy-washy. John's a man and a leader who follows through and isn't to be, isn't to be messed with. I think the show makes John command way more respect. The book version made him seem to have an inner struggle with doling out punishment, and I love the way it's done in the show.
0: I, I feel like the inner struggle was on the show, though. Yeah. When he cries out for mercy, John does hesitate. He does. Uh, I mean, guaranteed he follows through, but I don't know. I, I was not as firm on John as, like, he's a man of action, he can do this thing, as I was, like, he's he's resolved to do this thing, even though it kind of pains him. Yeah. He wants to give mercy, but he can't.
1: Yeah, and the more I think about it, and, and I actually was – I was expecting a lot of book reader bitching, and apparently either they thought I did a good enough job representing them or whatnot. But by far, like, a you know, uh 9 to 10 majority seemed to support the change, whether they were just a show watcher or a book reader. Hmm. So I'm officially getting off of my block, <laughs> my high horse, my soap block, and uh, moving on. Okay. Uh, Tom P said, "Hey guys, just finished watching *Spare* and listened to the instant take. I love this episode. It seems like every character got a lot to chew on. As a non-book reader, here is my prediction of what's going on with Cersei. A few seasons ago, it was mentioned that Marjorie has a much bigger role in the show than in the books. Again, with zero book knowledge here, I always assumed that meant she was marked for death, and I think this will be the season it happens. Mildly interesting take on that statement." Mm-hmm. Cersei obviously hates her. and with Tywin and Joffrey dead. She and Jamie separated, both emotionally and physically. And Tommen under Marjorie's spell. She has nothing to lose and nobody to keep her in check. My theory is she will co-opt the Sparrow's religious movement into killing Marjorie for her. We know Marjorie and seemingly Dornish people in general. Oop! Wait! Whoa! Uh, that she would actually be uh, Martell. When not a Martell, she'd be uh. Who uh, are you talking about? Bitch. This is Marjorie Tyrell. Yeah. Okay. So they're from Highgarden. Dorne is quite a bit su- southern, although they did mention that the Highgarden people do dress a little bit more provocatively hmm. because it's warmer down there. And then the Dorne, obviously, and I mean, Dorne, take a look at Marjorie. then the Dornish women are essentially wearing scarves with belts, you know? <laughs> yeah, see through scarves with belts. Anyway, um, we also know that Cersei is extending an olive branch to the High Sparrow. Will Cersei somehow manipulate some kind of event that highlights Marjorie's freewheeling sexual ways in public? Marjorie isn't an idiot and for the time being seems legitimately committed to King Tommen, so I doubt it will be something as simple as catching her sneaking off in the night for some action on the side. But... Is that, is that a fair categorization of Marjorie?
0: What? I don't know that she's free-willing and ultra-indulgent in her sexuality.
1: I think she portrays that image, but I don't think she acts on it. That's a good point. You know, what someone is, the part someone is playing is not necessarily what they're actually doing.
0: Yeah, I I can't recall seeing her ever fornicating with anybody else. I think it's the general just her slinky
1: and kind okay. of Okay. <laughs> I, I, I yeah, think it I, is I it's, understand it's the, the smirking horror uh, of okay. persona that pe that are yeah. throwing people off. And I For, for sure. All, and and the I, you know, I remembered a scene of her in bed with uh Rinley and mm-hmm. her offering to get her brother in there, like kind of mix it up and uh-huh. You know, that's kind of, I think people would say that's adventuresome. Sure. A little Lannistery. But that, I think, is more about her climb for power than yeah. I'm going to get off on seeing you and my brother do it with me being involved somewhere in the end, probably. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, continuing on with uh, Tom's email here, it just seems like the stage is set. I can see Cersei manipulating Lancel into being in the right place at the right time to witness a major sinning on the part of the new queen, and it's huh. just like Cersei to act out of spite with no thought for the aftermath. A potential Marjorie assassination would leave nobody, absolutely nobody in charge, and King's landing in an even worse place than it is now, especially if things get out of hand, and perhaps the new king gets caught up in a crossfire and becomes victim as well. Lots of doom and gloom here. Yeah, I think those are pretty solid predictions. I, I mean, Cersei is
0: certainly duplicitous here. I don't think she has any kind of goodwill toward Marjorie and... I, I could totally see her wanting to get back at her, for a lot of things.
1: Certainly. Moving on to Stephen M, my interpretation of the final scene was that Jorah was trying to take Tyrion to Cersei, not Danny. With the royal pardon and the offer of lands and titles, paired with the idea of a scorned lover, I felt like he would just want to go away and try forgetting about Danny. Just my two cents. Hmm. I'm sticking with my theory that he's going to Danny. I was surprised. The Queen is Danny. I got. A dozen emails essentially saying the same thing. Uh Steven just beat out the other eleven. So I you know, I just assumed it was more cut and dry that he's actually being taken to the other queen uh than the you know, than Cersei, but maybe maybe I was wrong.
0: I don't know. When I think back about George's behavior, I think he calls Danny my queen. Sure. Over and over and over in the last season or so. Two seasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think
1: that's who the queen is for him. Right on. Ephraim MR says, I finally, I see something happening on Arya's story. This is the more interesting storyline to me. So the dude went there to die. I assume he's talking about the supplicant. I wonder if that's how it goes. You want to kill someone. You go there to pray. They give you water from the well. You pray to whichever god you follow and then die there. And that visitor gave his life so the faceless man will then kill someone? Oh, wow. After Jaqen said Valar Harris," I wonder if that was like the closing of a contract to kill someone. It also seems as if they will take his face. When Arya was taking the cloth from the bucket, you can see knives laid out right next to them. She asked, and the other girl didn't answer, but the faces have to come from somewhere, Right. Uh, Mike B. jumps in in the middle of his email to add a new wrinkle or a little bit of depth to it. Hmm. He says, it seems a lot of people are speculating that one must die before becoming a faceless man. My first impression is that those bodies become the faces that faceless men are able to transform into. In this way, all men must die and all men must serve are linked more closely as when a man is dying, he must serve by allowing his face to be taken. What do you think of these? That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Speculations.
0: I kind of think that's cool. I, I would be totally okay if people are dying, but I like I'm a little worried about Arya's future at that point. Like mm. what does she want more? Does she want more to become a faceless man or does she want more to have these people on her list killed? Uh and is she willing to give up her face with all that means in order to have that that revenge?
1: And then it, it certainly puts the name faceless men into a much more grisly It does. <laughs> Yeah. No, I like it. I think that's a cool theory. Um, anyway, back to Ephraim's main points. He says, I'm now most interested in seeing what will happen in the North. By now, Sansa is more little fingered, and it combined that with the love the Northerns have for the Starks, i.e. the North remembers, it would be very easy for her to out-little finger everyone and perhaps do a reverse red wedding on the Boltons, which would be <laughs> awesome. That would be awesome. Uh, Peter's move accomplishes his promise to take Sansa home, and now that he's the rightful lord of Harrenhal and has control of the Vale, this also makes him closer to take control of Winterfell as well. At least he now has a foot inside, so to speak. He would have it on both sides, marriage between Sansa and Ramsay, or just Sansa after my hopeful reverse Red Wedding. That's a good point. This guy has a lot of control of a lot of land now. I mean, Harrenhal Mm -hmm. is a vast, rich region. Uh, The Vale is as well. With the north, he would have like... Two thirds of the continent s- sewn up Uh-huh. loyal to him. Hmm. Uh, Theon also became a little more interesting to me. The suffering that Theon has gone through and now back on Winterfell, serving as Reek and loyal to the Boltons, seeing the consequences of his actions. You can see the conflict in his face going around Winterfell under these new circumstances. Theon is definitely still there. Otherwise, he would not look away or hide whenever Sands is walking around. Perhaps there is hope for redemption on Theon's part. I'm still hoping for it. How do you think that would look?
0: Man. Uh, Well, it would be very nervous, for one. (laughs) Uh, It would be... I I don't know. I don't know what Theon would do that could possibly
1: hurt anyone at this point. Plus, you're right about the nervousness. I mean, the sheer terror that he must feel to even contemplate crossing the Boltons at this point. Because he's Mm -hmm. been like brainwashed in the in the most absolute way you can brainwash a person. There's nothing passive about yeah, it. Yeah, and
0: and even his
1: sister comes up and sees him and gives up. And you he, know? Yeah. Just decides he's not worth saving. Jumps back in his own cell. It's it it would be an interesting psychological battle within himself. I think that would be pretty cool to see.
0: Yeah, I think we'll and see something interesting. I can't imagine that he's still sticking around for no reason. Yeah. And they're showing us conspicuously
1: that he's avoiding uh, being seen. Like I said, mildly interesting. <laughs> Finally, the other priest of Volantis believes in a different savior than Stannis, as Melisandre believes him to be. Does it all depend on the priest's interpretation of who Azor Ahai is? Who the fuck is Azor Ahai? That's the Lord of the Light. Oh, okay. Or no, actually, I'm sorry. Azor Ahai is kind of like the Christ figure, the the messenger of the Lord of the Light. Melisandre okay. thinks it's Stannis. Uh, this priest and I—I I didn't even think of this. This priest says it's Danny. I mean, they don't have their newsletters synchronized. Mm-hmm. Do you think that? What? Is, so do you think that's a great
0: a, thing about the gods? You can right. interpret their meaning however you would like. Uh, interpret those people and those passages however you want. Uh, yeah, I—I I mean, it's clear that Melisandre thinks it's Stannis.
1: I. Th- what is he asking here in the email? No, I'm just saying. Do you, do you think it's interesting that there's a difference in opinion between the pr- the priestesses of the red? Oh yeah, I think it's, it's
0: not only interesting; it's natural.
1: You know, sure, and it also sets up a lot of interesting possibilities as far as you know. We're seeing at the early stages of religious fanaticism in Westeros taking hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you could have this. You, you could have this kind of weird Protestant Catholic religious war between the seven and the lord lord of the light and then there's a different faction like you know between the 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 lords of the light on the east and west coast Mm -hmm. that would be kind of interesting too
0: yeah uh the religion thing is starting to heat up certainly like they've it's always kind of been on the peripheral right um other than with melisandre
1: and I, i feel like it's coming into focus now uh, Doug L. said, I thought this week's Game of Thrones made some interesting points about religion and magic in Westeros. Jaqen tells Ari that there's only one god who wears many faces. He essentially says that you can worship the drowned god as the Ironborn do, R'hllor, the Seven, or etc., but they're all just different names for the same entity. Technically, I think this makes and Jewish, but that's beside the point. Okay. Uh, a man does not cut his foreskin. Is, is Definitely I not. think what Jackin would say about that. Uh, What's interesting (laughs) about this is that if all the different faiths are really different paths to the same source, why are there some seemingly powerful and others not? We've seen the northern gods do powerful things between white walkers, whites, wargs, fireballs, etc. We've seen R'hllor raise the dead and make shadow vagina babies. But the seven, the primary religion of Westeros, hasn't accomplished anything in the magical department. Hmm. Why am I bringing this up? I can already hear Jim screaming about how magic is an arbitrary plot plot device, so why does it matter? Uh Uh-huh uh i'm going to take another run at convincing him by taking a different approach oh boy first it's clear more so in the books that magic isn't arbitrary and does have rules but we are only given glimpses as to what they are for example melisandre can make shadow babies from stannis's essence but doing so it saps stannis of some of his life force the implication being that she can only do this a limited number of times sure the same is true for thoros resurrection of beric dondarrion Narratively, the purpose of magic is not to provide a literal Deus I can't pronounce Deus, this. Ex, machina. deus ex Machina, thank you. Mm-hmm. The purpose is to make the non-magic using audience uneasy. As we saw from Brian, the sight of a shadow assassin is extremely traumatic, not just because it was sad, but because it was from her perspective an inexplicable violation of the natural order. On a macro scale, from Jack's statement, we can see access to God's power as a weapon of war that one faction may have more of than another. If there really is only one god, it seems to be granting supernatural favors with some kind of bias. The point, I think, is for the gems of the world to take away uh, is to look at magic through the bewildered eyes of the characters witnessing it. It's less about what magic can or can't do and more about how its use makes the characters feel. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I I like
0: that take. Um, I still have a problem as an observer of a piece of fiction because at any point they can pull out another rule that you know, we didn't know about before. They hadn't shown us before, and have the magic essentially do anything they want. Sure, uh, that's that's the part of me that always lights up and says, "Big red X here. I don't like it." I, I get what you're saying, though. If I'm to put myself in the shoes of the the people in that world, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, it would definitely be frightening. It would definitely be confusing, and and the lack of rules would actually be something that's meaningful and terrifying.
1: Let me digress here a bit, because I'm actually curious in an anthropology of Jim Jones since I (laughs) I don't quite understand it all either, Uh because I know this is consistent. Like, comic book characters drive you crazy in the same kind of ways. Like, you like the Daredevils and the Batmans of the world. Like, Daredevils got powers, but they're kind of limited in scope, and you can kind of... They're based on some real concepts. Sure. Bat echolocation, sonar, whatever. Yeah. You can kind of quantify, wrap your head around it, whereas you hate... Like seeing Thor get stabbed, like Thor's what does that mean? Thor is the worst. Thor is the worst. Is he dead now? Is he going to die? Was there a threat if he could die? Can like, he die? When like when Hulk when picks two up immortals fight,
0: why the fuck do I care?
1: Yeah, yeah. Are they immortal? <laughs> is it the fact that you just don't like? That writers have the ability to pull stuff out of their ass, and it I think that leads it. to lazy, sloppy writing. It's why I've always
0: liked science fiction more than fantasy, because at least in science fiction, there are
1: generally accepted rules around physics. You know. Now, let me ask you and a follow up: the hammer. Uh, why did you? Why the fuck did you like Lost? Because uh, that's that is a the good epitome question. of writers just pulling shit out of their ass again and again and
0: again. You know what I think it is? I think. I was promised early on that there was an answer to the questions. So you had faith that there, yeah. this was going to be – and that was my mistake. Be... <laughs> faith is always a bad thing. Never have faith. Uh, <laughs> but no, I think Lesson that's what as it, always. I think that's what it was. And it – like, because when, when the plane crash happened, like, all of this weird stuff started happening, the writers and the creators got out there and started saying – We have a All of this has an answer. In retrospect, it will make sense. Hang on with us. And I was like – fine okay and then when i got invested in it i was like okay mystery of the week this is cool next yeah. thing and they kind of unrolled it in a fashion that kept me hooked yeah but man you go and say this guy's immortal and this guy's immortal and they're both going to fight each other i say why okay
1: <laughs> all right they should just get a beer
0: i mean imprison him or something
1: like yeah. get, get him out of the equation but you can't kill him all right uh macro or marcos <laughs> marco in san diego at rhymes uh, I noticed something odd in season or, uh, in this episode. When Brienne was talking with Pod the Rod, she tells him, Rinley asked her out to dance after all the douchebags were laughing at her. Now, that sounds to me like it was the first time they'd met. Yet, when Horseteeth wins the match against Loris and she takes her helmet off, Rinley seems genuinely surprised it's a woman and asks her who it is. Now, knowing Rinley is a world-renowned sword hmm. swallower... Uh, he may not pay too much attention to the ladies, even one as interesting looking as Brienne. But come on, who's going to forget Brienne the Beauty, especially after dancing with her the entire tea or most of the evening? Jim, do you have thoughts? Man, I, I, I don't know. That seems to be a,
0: a hole in the plot.
1: One kind of tragic way to see this is that Rinley really didn't remember. Like, she describes him I, as dancing... Wait, I, Like she's like, let's say, like she describes him as dancing the entire evening away. Mm -hmm. And let's say this is 15 years ago. Yeah. Where maybe Rinley just took pity on her and gave her one dance and kind of chucked her on her chin and said, chin up, and then never thought about it again. Whereas this is, so this is a formative moment in her life and it was, it meant nothing to Rinley. I think, again, that's kind of a tragic way to read that, but. It seems like a valid way.
0: Yeah, I suppose that could be the case. Uh, the only problem I have with that, and I think the same one that the emailer has, is she's a great lumbering beast, right? She's striking. She she is visually without comparison. I don't I don't know that you would forget something like that, although. She was probably a lot different 15, however,
1: however many years ago this happened. You think it's like if this was her coming out ball, she's somewhere between like 12 and 18. God, yeah. God knows yeah. how So old.
0: maybe she, but she describes herself as a great lumbering beast sure. even then. So I can't imagine that she wouldn't be visually distinctive at that point. Right. Because uh, that's what the whole story is about. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I just, I don't know. Maybe Rinley just didn't really just didn't care that much. Right. You, you could be right.
1: Uh Josh K said liked the episode quite a bit but one thing really bugged me Tyrion the ultimate survivor who because of his size is only alive because of his wits and insight into people acts like a complete idiot <laughs> if anyone should understand the power of Lannister gold and how easily it reaches across oceans it's him nevertheless he wanders a crowded city unguarded dares a prostitute to guess who he is exercises less caution in a shady brothel and bar than I would and I don't have a price on my head. <laughs> it was a walking dead moment for me, acting completely yeah. out of character, advance a plot. Lazy sloppy writing. Jim, do you agree? Nope. I don't agree. You're you are seeing this through the lens of a concerned
0: viewer who likes Tyrion. Sure. Tyrion is seeing this as a man who has lost everything and doesn't give a fuck. He wants to drink himself to death. Yeah. He does not care
1: that they might recognize him. He really just doesn't. In fact, you could even say he's he wants to be caught that he's Fred Durst or uh, Robert <laughs> Robert, <he's> Robert Dursting. <laughs> yeah, he's getting up on stage. He's, he's stealing a, sandwiches when uh, he's on. I mean, this happens in real life where people just don't he, he care it, anymore. He did it all for the nookie. Is all I got to say. <laughs> and and he didn't even get that because little little Tyrion was broken. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, his dick's heart was broken. Uh, Michael J. said, several scenes in this episode also hark back in one way or to another to the exchange between Bronn and Lawless last episode. Uh, he quotes the – but I think we know this. Lawless says, my sister hates me and she's mean and Bronn's like, well, you're a good person. Your sister's a mean person. They get what they deserve. Mm-hmm. Given the economy of characters and the economy of dialogue uh, applied by the showrunners to condense the source material from the books into something watchable, I think this exchange is more important than it seems on the surface. While it immediately brings to mind Cersei foreshadowing her coming downfall, parenthetically, after all, who's the meanest sister in this series? I believe this snippet of dialogue has broader implications, i.e., to the importance of reputation and how your past actions will either open up unexpected doors to you or close them in your face. In both the last episode and this one, we see Cersei struggling to navigate an environment in which she has diminishing authority, precisely because she has few friends or family she can rely upon because her meanness has driven everyone away. Littlefinger's freedom to, uh, of maneuvering appears to be somewhat curtailed these days as well, because everyone increasingly views everything he says and does with suspicion. Brienne's recounting of how Rinley's kindness to her engendered a loyalty to him that survives even to this day, such that she's willing to undertake a quest to avenge his death similarly fits with this narrative. And who's meaner than Ramsay Bolton? who is clearly sowing the seeds of his house's destruction by terrorizing the lords of the north. The north remembers! The king of the north! Yeah, uh, I mean, this, this email is karma's a bitch, right? All this is reminding me of something you said in one of your Justified podcasts, which mm. is how much harder it is for the bad guys to triumph in the long run because they're always stabbing each other in the back to gain more power. All of their temporary allegiances are merely tactical, whereas the good guys, while they have their disagreements, win out or at least don't lose in the long run because they're not constantly looking over their shoulder, worried about some other good guy taking them out. In the short run, a big bad can gain a foothold, but in doing so, they often lay the groundwork for their own downfall in the long run. Uh, That's a good point. That would be a fairly positive interpretation of what Martin's trying to do here at Game of Thrones.
0: Yeah, and I could definitely see that being the case for Littlefinger. I think Littlefinger is so manipulative that at some point, like I said, he's going to make a big bet and
1: it's going to fail. He's going to lose. On the other hand, you also have that if you think this is going to have a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention faction. (laughs) And also where it's while it's true that outlaws seldom prevail, the banality of evil sometimes does like the everyday corporations dumping shit into your waters, uh, people embezzling money from retirees. Uh, that kind of stuff does seem to slowly corrode society in the end where, you know, I don't know. But on the other hand, that's kind of a bummer of the way to look at another way to look at it is that society progresses in some ways and slides back in others. And it's continual pendulum swing of light and dark.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I like to think of it that way. I, it's, it is much more difficult to be just and honest and, uh, a good person than it is to be greedy and a bad person i think sure um it's it's somewhat in our nature to you know get what we can uh, while we can because you know we didn't start out where we are in right. society and it's right it's come a long way but it, yeah it's
1: it's tough uh, Matthew S. says, If there's one thing Game of Thrones has taught us is that in- actions have consequences. As satisfying as it is to see Cersei called a drunken dowager for the second week in a row, I can- can't help but feel that Marjorie has massively overplayed her hand by going out of her way to min- humiliate Cersei without getting anything tangible for it. Sure, being queen changes the dynamic of the relationship, but it doesn't make you untouchable. Ned Stark had a winning hand when he learned about Cersei and the Kingslayer, but he squandered it by not going all-in and played it at the wrong time. So to continue the poker analogy, while Ned was recounting his chips, Cersei was stacking the deck. Don't get me wrong, Cersei's a fucking idiot, and every plan she's ever had has backfired, but putting all of her cards on the table prematurely is probably Marjorie's biggest misstep, misstep to date. Instead of poking Cersei with a pointy stick while she was playing possum, Marjorie should have stuck to poisoning the well with Tom in between the sheets. Uh is that a Kama Sutra move? <laughs> poisoning poisoning the, well. the well between the sheets? It is. Yeah. It's, it's one of the advanced ones, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, a cornered lioness's only way forward is to attack and whatever unholy, holy alliance is being brokered with the sparrows will come back to bite Marge on the ass. I could
0: see that. Uh yeah, I think it was foolhardy of her to go jabbing the bear. Here.
1: and uncharacteristic Cersei to take the long, long view of things. Indeed, I, I do feel like that show Cersei has been consistently more portrayed as portrayed as more three dimensional and more self aware and cunning than book Cersei. Hmm, okay, and it seems I was pleasantly surprised that uh, it seems to be continuing that. Rick from Cleveland says, I was wondering if anyone in the realm besides the Night's Watch knows the whereabouts of Stannis, specifically Creepyfinger and the Boltons. Those two seem consumed with uniting uh, forces and moving south, but I was curious if they were watching their asses. What do you think? What's your impression as a non-book reader? Is anyone besides the Night's Watch aware of the location of Stannis at this point in episode
2: three?
1: I think if anyone would be, it would be Littlefinger. He,
0: you know, has his pigeons everywhere, or whatever he says. Uh, He's the most connected to the information pipeline in Westeros. Uh, Aside from maybe Varys, I mean, Varys might also know. Um, I don't know.
1: Either of those two guys might know. I wonder why there's so little concern about where Stannis is at amongst the kings. I mean, I guess you could explain this by everyone that's got their head out of their ass has either dead or left the small council. (laughs) So, you know, There's Cersei's that. out chasing the specter of Tyrion and collecting dwarf heads when uh, one of those dangerous man, men of Westeros is running around with an army, unaccounted for.
0: I wonder what Kevin Lannister knows. Hmm. He seemed to be on the ball, yeah?
1: I mean, I, I... Yes. Yes. I would think that we are led to believe that uh, he's a pretty good dude.
0: But what the hell, like... Is he just going to sit back and – if he knows things, is he going to sit back,
1: let it happen, and not do anything to preserve the Lannister legacy? Or? I don't know. What do you think – what do you think – if? what do you think his motivation is? Is his motivation to preserve the legacy, Lannister legacy at all costs like Tywin, or do you think he's more into serving the realm as an altruistic course? That sounds a lot more like the speech Because depending on that, what your read on him is, I could see him sitting on that knowledge because – there needs to be a shakeup at King's Landing, and obviously it can't happen while Cersei is is sitting at the top, so...
0: Yeah, and he's not going to
1: take Cersei out. Maybe give her enough rope to hang herself, although, man, letting King's Landing be sacked <laughs> is playing that out a little, little bit far. It is. Maybe it he is. privately thinks that Stannis would be okay on the, the throne, and why would Stannis be pissed at him? He didn't let, you know, march on King's Landing or... Do, I mean, that was his brother, right? Hmm. He could bend a knee. I suppose so. Anyway, um, let's see. There's one final email, but it's got potential spoilers for the Game of Thrones video game from Telltale. So if you have any interest at all in playing the game and you don't want minor details spoiled, I figured I'd save this for last to give you a chance to shut off the podcast. Having said that, we're going to consider some thoughts from a person who's played and watched, played the video game and watched the series. Stefan J. from Brooklyn Said I watched the episode last night and I thought that in the scene with Marge and Cersei, the double D's had a nice little shot to give a nod to play game players of the Telltale Games story being told. In the game, one of the POV characters we play is Mira Forrester, who is one of Marjorie's handmaidens. When I first watched it, I thought Mira was the one right behind Marjorie because of her dress, but upon second viewing I saw that there were other handmaids dressed similarly. Do you think the double D's will give the game players a wink and a nod the same way they do for book readers in certain instances? Even if it's just hearing a name like Mira or Garrett or uh, ah, Garrett Turtle, Tuttle, I want to the King Turtle again, Uh or Garrett Tuttle, another character in the game who's at the wall with John, in passing will help make the world feel that much more expansive and connected with so many little stories. I personally doubt it, but I'd sure be stoked to get anything that even acknowledges what's going on in video games. Jim Jones, you're a video game lover. And then we are actually going to play do a let's play of this game series at some t- time. I don't know if it's going to be after the season, t- towards the middle or end of the season, or before next year. I really don't know when. But we did it for The Walking Dead. It was a lot of fun. Um, that's all on Twitch TV uh, slash Bald Move. If you, or actually no, it'd be on if you'd be on a YouTube site now because they only keep your archive on Twitch for like a month. If you go to youtube.com slash move, there's a playlist for the the Telltale playthrough, and we did all the seasons. Um, so this is something that we're kind of interested in. Do you think it'd be cool for them to tie those characters together, or do you think it'd feel a little gamey?
0: No, I think it'd be fine. Um, all right. It wouldn't be obvious. I, I mean, at least I assume they wouldn't make it obvious, you know, but after seeing the thing with Tyrion in this episode for Destiny, I... I feel like yeah. Why wouldn't they?
1: Yeah, why wouldn't they? Throw it? I mean, it's if nothing else, it makes business sense because yeah. that is something that would get people kind of hyped up to be, however small a part of the actual actual series. Yeah, and it doesn't need to be a big fancy. You it's know, like in the tail tale, meeting Glenn and Herschel, even though you don't yeah. really interact with them that much. It was kind of cool to be like, oh, I'm we're converging and then going to go on in separate ways. I think that and would you be could
0: cool. do the reverse here.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Why not? Maybe it is too late for this season, but next season we can get a Jared at the wall or a Mira in King's Landing. Why not? That's it for feedback. Uh, of course, we have the spoilers uh, podcast coming out Friday afternoon. Um, that's a lot of fun. If you, it's still not too late to get feedback for that at Game of Thrones at Baldmove dot com. And it's still not too late to get on next week if you know we missed something or uh, you got a really good take. I go through and, and go through the old stuff before I move to the new stuff. So it's still not too late. Sinister Thoughts at Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com. You can also discuss on our forums at forums.BaldMove.com. And again, as a reminder, all that stuff is partitioned between spoilers and non-spoilers. So show watchers, uh, the Unsullied, and the uh, book readers can all play in the same space without stepping on each other's toes. And that's cool. Yeah. Um, and you can also follow our releases on Facebook.com slash BaldMove and on Twitter at BaldMove. Any last words, Jim? No, no, no last words. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will,
0: of course, be back next week right after the episode. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See ya.